Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is Tuesday, May 28th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Dukmasova will join us. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Sun-Times writer Tina Spondelas, and it's the return of Dan Pogoshelsky and Jacob Kaplan, a.k.a. the Illinois political know-it-alls. And now your host, also an Illinois political know-it-all. It's absurd, in fact. <laughs> Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Lunatics in Charge Tuesday. Ooh. And here's why. Great weekend. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Wait, aren't you going to say what you usually say? No, it kind of makes sense because we had the holiday yesterday. So, yeah, it was a good extended weekend. Oh, I was really hoping you would go, uh, Ben, no, the weekend's over. Get next, out of business. That's next week. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, I had a great week. I party like a rock star, man. Mm-mm-mm. You know, I'm Did still living. too? Mm-mm-mm. It's the noise you make when you eat but, good things. Man, I, oh, God. My wife last night made linguine with white clam sauce. Mm, so good. I can still taste it, man. I'm so hungry all of a sudden. Anyway. Focus, Ben. Focus. All right. <laughs> I uh, was up all night. Two nights in a row. Didn't get any sleep because I was reading this massive book, uh, Reporter. By the way, he never sleeps, guys. <laughs> if you've listened to more than one Ben Jarofsky show, you think, boy, this guy never sleeps. Well, no, do, he doesn't. I do stay up late. I got these issues, folks, which I'm sharing with you. I stay up very late reading. And then, you know, all of a sudden that, like, you know what? Like the Sun Times says, the rooster crows, cock-a-doodle-doo. And I got to get out of bed to make it down here, right? Cock-a-doodle, don't do that again. <laughs> cock-a-doodle, don't. Anyway, the, yes, the rooster crow, but I was, had been up all night reading Seymour Hersh's. Now, you're going to say, who is Seymour Hersh? I know millennials out there, D. They want to know who Seymour Hersh is, all right? Millennials hang tight. have a fantastic <laughs> program lined up for all of you today. All right. Seymour Hersh is a legendary investigative reporter. He's 81 years old, which means he's even older than I am. D's like, oh, what? I can't be possible. Someone older than you? Yes, indeed. Seymour Hersh has been around forever. All right. He's one of the greatest uh, investigative reporters of the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, even into this uh, century. He's always writing one great story after another about powerful people, presidents included, up to no good. Seymour Hersh. He's pretty fearless. Anyway, uh, the takeaway I had from his book is that we have always, as a country, been electing one lying, cheating, conniving, a lunatic after another as our presidents. That's the only takeaway I can come away with, D. He tells, Seymour Hearst tells one story or another about President Johnson, President Nixon, not so much uh, President Ford, Carter, 
or uh, Clinton, but uh, Nixon and uh, Johnson and uh, the stuff the people running the show in the Bush administration, raving lunatics. Anyway, there's this one story that I have to share because it's not gonna it's gonna make you feel hmm not so bad about our current president. All right, well maybe you'll feel bad about him because you don't like him, but let me just tell you this story anyway. It's buried in this uh, enormous book that I was up all night reading, Seymour Hersh's memoir. Anyway, so it's a story about the time that President LBJ uh, read a column by Tom Wicker. And, well, all right, one more explanation. Tom Wicker was a columnist for the New York Times. He covered the White House. And one time, Tom Wicker wrote something that was very critical of President Johnson. And apparently, President Johnson didn't like it. That would be President Lyndon Johnson, who was the president of the United States in the 1960s, just helping everybody out. Now, this was back in the day when Lyndon Baines Johnson, president of the United States, used to vacation at his massive ranch in Texas. All right? So he'd go down the Texas. You know how uh, Trump goes down to Mar-a-Lago? Well, Trump, uh, Johnson would go down to Texas, this huge, enormous ranch in the middle of nowhere of Texas. He would vacation there. And the press corps, the White House Washington press corps, had no choice but to hang out on the ranch waiting for something, anything to happen, because that's what press corps does. The president is always news, even when he's on vacation. So anyway, one afternoon, shortly after Wicker wrote this critical column, their press corps just sitting around in the heat, up to no good, when up drives President Johnson in a big old car. Yes, he was driving the car all alone in the car. Imagine Trump in a golf cart, only this is a big old car driven by Lyndon Johnson. And Johnson calls out, hey, Wicker, get in. And so Tom Wicker walks over and he hops into the car and he's like, oh, no. I'm going to get in trouble because I wrote something critical of LBJ and now I'm all alone in a car with the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the universe. And Johnson speeds off into the desert, way into the ranch, doesn't say one word to Tom. By the way, is it Wicker or Wiker? I'm not quite sure if it's Wicker or Wiker. Anyway, that's a tangent, folks. Tom Wicker. And they Don't look at me. Yeah, he's like, I never even heard of the guy until he started telling this story. So there they are in the desert. He pulls over in the middle of nowhere. Johnson does. Johnson hops out of the car, walks a few feet away, drops his pants, looks Tom Wicker in the eye, and D, how do I say this? He, right there and then, takes a beep. He defecates right in front of Tom Wicker, okay? With Wicker or Wicker watching. Then he picks up some leaves, wipes himself off, walks back to the car, and drives Wicker back to where the other reporters are saying, never said a word, didn't clean his hands. Thank goodness he didn't try to shake his hand. It was, Wicker says, President Johnson's way of telling him that he didn't give a beep about anything critical that Tom Wicker wrote. Now, folks, when you hear that story, suddenly, you know, Trump talking about fake news doesn't seem that bad. All right. Thing is, Tom Wicker never reported that. He never told anybody about it. Maybe he told his wife, his friends, and his closest friends and family, but he did tell Seymour Hersh that, and Seymour Hersh put it in his book. It went unreported. Can you imagine, D? if something like that happened today? The press corps would be all over it. Things have changed, folks. But it kept a secret until uh, Seymour Hersh uh, uh, put it in his book. And I shared it with you right there. All right. Uh, So, folks, 
I'm not sure that it's progress, but in some ways it's reassuring to know that this is not the first time we the people have put a lunatic in charge. We got a great show today. Maya will be here at about ooh, 25 minutes or so. And Chicago she, Reader columnist Maya Dugmasova? There's only one, and she will be walking through that door in about 25 minutes telling me everything we need to know about Chicago City politics. At 2 o'clock, Tina Svandellis, the great Chicago Sun-Times political reporter, will be walking through that door telling us everything we need to know about Illinois politics God. and what the General Assembly is up to passing all those bills. And then she's going to hop into a car and drive down to Springfield for the last three days, all right, so she's very busy, and she's made time for us in between driving to Springfield and writing stories. In fact, hold on. Hear that sound? That's the sound of Tina t- clicking away at her typewriter hard at work. Huh, nobody... It sounded like you're doing an impression of a typewriter. <laughs> Actually, nobody has typewriters anymore. That's a whole other story. Anyway, and then at 2.30, the know-it-alls. Oh, do they know everything about everything? Oh God. Jacob Kaplan, Danny Pogoshevsky will be right here. Be walking through that door, sitting in that chair, talking about national politics, local politics, city politics. In other words, the politics. All right? We're going to be talking politics, politics, politics. So a lot of politics we're going to be talking about. Maybe I'll share that story about Lyndon Johnson and Tom Wicker. No, please. <laughs> God, I read that story last night. you got to be kidding. What a lunatic. Anyway, we've got a great show. Before we get to any of that, the doctor has the news. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm Dennis. Hands down the grossest uh, opening you've ever done. I was, dropped his pants? Uh, right, right in front of Tom Wicker and just looked at him. Looked at him in the eye and said, basically, I don't give a beep about okay. you. Some of our guests would say the word, but... You know, D, I'm just not like that. What a class act this guy is. My goodness. Yeah. All right, it's the middle of the day. Let's unpack the national news happening this afternoon. President Donald Trump has returned from his Memorial Day weekend getaway in Japan. And no surprise here, he had tweeted the entire time he was there. Yeah, that's our president. You know what? In second thought, LBJ looks sane. <laughs> he was trashing Biden, having a good old time while in Japan. Mm. The U.S. Congress is in recess this week. Other than that... It's a somewhat chill, Ooh. non-dramatic day in our nation's capital this Tuesday afternoon. Wait, what are, are those crickets? Yeah. Oh, that's that's the Very chill relaxing. sound. Ah, yeah. Kind of nice for a change, don't you say, Ben? Mm, yeah, man. Ah, so what are we going to talk about? What to talk about? Oh, wait, that's right. There's like 50 people running for president ah, at the moment. yeah. <laughs> Lots to discuss there. Oh, yeah. A lot of our Democratic Where's 20... cheat sheet? Oh, get that cheat sheet out. A lot of our 2020 uh, Democratic POTUS hopefuls are out on the campaign trail today. Looks like they're hitting the earth. Early vote states, Ben. Former Vice President Grandpa Joe, Joe Biden, he's in Houston, Texas. Senator Bernie Sanders is making a number of stops in New Hampshire. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker is visiting Nevada. And we have another Democratic candidate town hall interview to look forward to. Senator Kamala Harris of California is preparing for an MSNBC town hall in South Carolina later today. No Fox TV for her, huh? Uh, Not as of now. All right. Well, going on MSNBC is not really as dramatic as going on Fox. Uh, although it's all a game. Look, folks, we are not even uh, in June yet. Really, realistically, the campaign doesn't take off until the summer before the Iowa caucus. So that means it's coming right around the corner. And generally, the focus is Iowa, Iowa, Iowa. We should go down to Iowa, D, and uh, see what they're telling the folks. I've in never Iowa. been. Uh, you've never been to Iowa? Nope. 
Don't you like live? Wait, oh no, Missouri. Oh, we'll be discussing that a little later, right across the river from you. Iowa's a lovely state. Uh, yeah, I like Iowa. Anyway, uh, Iowa's the key state, and um, uh, as it's so bizarre the way we uh, select our presidents, but just so everybody know, there's Iowa, New Hampshire, and then the southern states. Those are basically, I think Nevada's earlier this year too, but the southern states have a far different voting population. Uh, there's many more black people who live in the southern states. Iowa and New Hampshire are pretty much all white, and so. So it's a very d- a strange way that the Democrats have to now. That's that's the process. That's the plan. And the reason, of course, that Obama, uh, Iowa is so important for Obama because it proved that white people would vote for him when he was victorious in Iowa in 2008. And that t- radically changed a lot of people's notions about him, including uh, black voters. And he was able to uh, do very well in the southern states that followed. So that's the process we have uh, it, to look forward to in the next, mm, oh gosh, almost eight months uh, as it unfolds. And you're right, D. I have not made up my mind. I am a flag a flapping in the wind. One day I'm for Bernie. Another day I'm for Elizabeth Warren. The third day, oh, my God, my lefty friends are going to be so mad at me. Grandpa Joe sounds okay. Uh, but he has a lot of baggage from the past. Uh, and you know what? I'm up get, getting a, uh, an obsession. I was telling Leah this. I'm not really um, obsessed with environmental news. Uh, as my wife is, as apparently Leah is as well, watching a lot of documentaries on TV. But the the, the insanity of Donald Trump and his White House, uh, front page story in the New York Times, show everybody the story, about how Donald Trump is trying to change the rules in the way we monitor uh, climate change so as to minimize the impact of man on the environment so that he could justify gutting regulations that control the amount of emissions, pollutants, uh, toxins in the air and the waters uh, that we're infected by. Uh, the, the the insanity of Donald Trump and the way he's dealing with this issue so that, what, his, his donors can make even more money than they're already making, polluting the environment, uh, is getting me to realize that it's probably more important than, I, and than I've ever expected. In fact, yeah, I'm doing things like that I'd never done before. I mean, we're conscious about in, like recycling. We had Mike Novak on the show. Excellent guest, Mike Novak, last week, talking about how uh, the city of Chicago is antediluvian. How about that word? Oh, my. Yeah, that's a big word. Over my <laughs> dumb brain. Uh, in, in regards to its recycling laws. And, uh, you know, you figure a, a democratic city would um, be more... Oh, you know, in tune with trying to protect the environment. Anyway, uh, I'm now doing a better job of, you know, sorting out my recyclables, even though in the back of my mind, I know, you know, it's all a big scam the way the city runs things. A very important issue. And it's my long-winded way of saying I'm taking a look at Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington State. Okay. okay? You know, he's certainly emerging from behind. You know, he's interesting guy. He's the one guy who's made climate control uh, his central theme of his campaign. So I am undecided. Undecided. Still too early. That's okay. You got mm-hmm. some time. In other news, I guess there's a, there is a little drama stirring up in D.C. today. Author Michael Wolf has returned. Ben, you remember Michael Wolf? Yeah, Furious. Oh, okay. Furious. Well, I was going to ask you for 10 trivia points, because that's not the name of the book. What was the title of Michael Wolf's Wasn't book? Wasn't it Furious? No. Fury. Close. Fire? You're so close. Fiery Fury. Fire and Fury. Oh, fuck. I got Whoa. it, basically. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sort of. It was Fire and Fury. Not Furious or Fire. It was Fire and Fury. Remember that? Oh, my God. We talked about that a lot. About a year ago, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good God. He's got a new book out. I uh, forgot to put the title of the thing. Shows you how much I'm really... Uh, well, it's neither Fire nor it. Fury nor Fire and Furious. It's um, <laughs> Fast and Furious. No, that's a movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. That's <laughs> A car racing movie. 
Uh, uh, so what's the name of the book? I'm looking it up here. Michael Wolf's newest book tease is at least believable this time, it says. All right, let's see here. I got to pull up the Just site. call it Peyton Place. That was a book that was really popular oh, in the okay. 60s. Just great, say it's great. Peyton Place. There you go. All right. All right Nobody Wolf's knows Peyton Place. Siege. Siege is the name oh, of his new book. Siege. Okay. One word. He's into that. All right. Siege. Man, siege. It's like an ad. You remember the ads that uh, Pritzker would do? One word Oh, ads. that's all of the political ads now. <laughs> One word. Siege. <laughs> Siege. So I, let me guess. It's about Donald Trump. Oh, yeah, yeah. More yeah. than likely here. It says here. The Wait, car- so you had a trivia question for me? And did I pass the trivia question? Where are you today? <laughs> I didn't get much sleep over the Apparently weekend. Apparently not. Yeah. Get more sleep, dude. <laughs> the Guardian on Tuesday reported that Wolf's upcoming book, Siege, a sequel to his sensational Fire and Fury, That's that was the was question called. I asked oh, you, yeah. says that special counsel Robert Mueller drafted up documents that would have indicted Trump for three counts of obstruction of justice. Mm. Is that what he said in his book? Yeah. He Wait, say that again? That in the book he says something that nobody else has revealed? Get more sleep. The spokesperson for Mueller's <laughs> office has denied that the documents exist without ever addressing whether maybe they ever had existed in the past. They say before uh, an incinerator received their paper shredding uh, the documents. Yeah, Michael Wolf just kind of made it up as he went along. Is that what they're saying? Sort of, I guess. Yeah, all right. Look, good for Michael Wolf. I remember being happy when his book came out because it was critical of Trump. Trump got mad. It sold a lot of copies. It just it was all part of the fury. There we go, that word again. There you go. Uh, that really epitomized uh, 2018, 2017 as Democrats were coming face to face with the reality that a freaking lunatic uh, was in charge of the White House. I'm I'm worried, a little worried, that people may be coming, what, used to Donald John Trump? So the fury has ebbed, and uh, the passion isn't there as much anymore. Um, so I'm not, I'm just looking at it this way, I'm not as excited about Michael Wolf's new book as I was over the last one. Has Donald Trump tweeted about it yet? No, not yet, not right. yet. He's he, just he's just getting back, you know? Okay, well, he owes, uh, Wolf owes him some, uh, some money, because the last time Trump tweeted about uh, bad about it, all the uh, anti-Trump Democrats out there went out and bought the damn thing. That's all it takes. Oh, Trump doesn't like it? I'll buy a copy of it. Makes a writer rich. Now, of course, it will keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. And coming up after this short little break, we're going to find out what's going on locally. People, we are going to find out what else is news. Don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. <laughs> hey, welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Oh, that was a good commercial you did. That wasn't bad, and no, you did it too. Yeah, we did it together. <laughs> anyway, what do you got for me, young man? We're about to find out what's going on locally. It is time for what else is news. Governor Pritzker's fair tax has passed the House. Say what? Woo! 
More on that in moments. But first, <laughs> Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot is looking more like a mayor every day. Mm. And Ben, there's a good chance a single tear rolled down the eye of our now former mayor, Rahm Emanuel, because this morning... Our newly elected mayor, for the first time, took out that giant pair of scissors and did what Rahm Emanuel may have done better than any other Chicago mayor today. Let's give credit where it's due, all right? Lori Lightfoot cut her first ribbon. <laughs> yeah! Yeah, Mayor Rahm loved cutting ribbons, yeah. It took place at Skinder Warehouse on Pulaski Road at the company's new manufacturing facility. She then visited the Gleacher Center for an announcement with the University of Chicago involving science and technology. And so far, what Rahm is to ribbon cutting, Lori <laughs> is to luncheons. Oh, she loves luncheons, everybody. Yeah. She headlined a luncheon at Ben's new favorite place, <laughs> the City Club. Yeah, the City Club. The way I still have my little placard. Yeah, you see that right? yeah. placard? Wait, a piece hold on. Of paper with your name on. Hold on. Oh, well, it's yours. Yeah. Wait, hold on one second. <laughs> okay. All right. Hold on. All what? right. He's got to grab this too. Put it right in the camera. Put it right into the camera, Ben. Look at that, guys. Whoa, man. Now, what is that? That is my City Club of Chicago certificate. Last week, I was at the City Club with Laura Washington and Jen Sabella and uh, talking about the first 100 days. Uh, and I hate to say it, but I'm not nearly the draw that Lori Lightfoot is. Uh, there were, the place was packed for Lori Lightfoot. In fact, what they announced, like to really rub it in our face, you know, Laura, Jen, and I, uh, we're completely sold out for uh, Lori Lightfoot. Not like these losers. Uh, <laughs> City Club, uh, but there's still chairs. Like for Lori Lightfoot, they, like, okay, let me just back up. The City Club is this uh, and venerable institution in the city of Chicago of uh, big movers and shakers, and they meet once a week, have luncheon, and listen to speakers, and they generally roll in, you know, that big heavy hitters and uh, the political world. I guess it was a little sparing that day. Go, get Ben in here. All right, so they brought me in, and uh, they have luncheon, and, you know, I'm giving my opinions. and um, But then they say, I noticed we're in just one room. I'm not sure if every chair was taken. It was pretty crowded. But then they said, well, for Lori Lightfoot, uh, we're not only sold out every chair in this room, we got the overflow room. We, we get to watch it on TV. Wow, the overflow room. Overflow room. room. You didn't have to worry about that one, did you? I didn't have to worry about the overflow room, man. But uh, so I say, all right, Lori Lightfoot, you have made it. Uh, you're giving addresses at the City Club. So that's where the movers and shakers go. You know who was there a couple of weeks ago? Your favorite. Who's that? Uh, the mayor of South Bend, Peter Buttigieg. Oh, <laughs> he was there. Awesome. Okay. He was in town. And uh, yeah, that was the movie. Show. Oh, uh, I got a call from the City Club, by the way. Uh, you got to go pick up your uh, Nancy Pelosi button. You left your Nancy Pelosi button there. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say they want that certificate back. No, uh, no. Uh, ben, that certificate. And we just lent that to you. That's in a few months. All right. Moving on. And for the record, I love puppies. <laughs> Jamie Pritzker, if that's the case, we may find you partying in a Chicago dog park near you this afternoon. Mm -hmm. The Illinois House of Representatives voted Monday to amend the state's constitution to dump its current flax, ta uh, flax tax rate, flat tax rate, there we go, in favor of a graduated income tax system. Mm -hmm. This means that the plan will now be on the ballot. Yes, we get to vote on it. In the 2020 general election, the bill needed 71 votes to pass the House. 73 to 44 was the final tally. Pritzker's administration has said the proposal would raise more than $3 billion for the state each year. We have a couple of quotes to read, but Ben, before we go any further here, what are your thoughts on yesterday's decision in Springfield? Well, it was a 73 votes, 73 Democratic votes. The Republicans lined up against it. The hypocrisy continues. Republicans love spending money when it comes out to doling out uh, big contracts to their wealthy buddies, but they don't want the wealthy people 
people who are benefiting from these deals to have to pay more in taxes. So they play this game where they pretend they're looking out for the the interest of middle class and working class and poor people, when in fact, they're looking out for the interests of the well-to-do. What a game the Republicans play. We, you know, we over the weekend, we had uh, Dee Bobian and Marcy Love, a couple of Republicans come into the studio, part of our bonus segment, talk about Republicans in the old days, how there was more compromise, how there were more quote-unquote moderate Republicans uh, who might be in favor of something. Well, they were talking about specifically in a woman's right to choose and abortion rights. But there are no Republicans anymore uh, who uh, will work with Democrats on issues like taxation. There are two extremes uh, that, like I said, Republicans love spending money when it comes to doling out contracts to the well-to-do, but they don't like taxing the well-to-do. So it it needed a supermajority to pass. Uh, It got all 73, got 73 Democrats to sign on. I don't know how many Democrats were against it. And so now it it goes uh, to the voters. There'll be a referendum, as you said, D, and we, the people, will decide. And boy, we, the people, we barrage. I know this is, uh, you're going to be talking about this. We will be barrage by a whole bunch of TV commercials uh, in the coming months. Pritzker told reporters Monday, quote, the commitment is to vote for rates that do, in fact, protect the middle class and those striving to get there. That's what it is to be a Democrat, to stand up for the middle class and those striving to get to the middle class. That's what I ran my campaign on. Now, yesterday's decision does, in fact, strengthen Pritzker's position within the Illinois Democratic Party. No other Democratic governor has done this. Here's Illinois Democratic Speaker Michael J. Madigan weighing in on the fair tax plan, passing the House. Uh, Madigan said, quote, middle class families bear too much of the burden under the current tax system and a fair tax will enable us to make the wealthy pay uh, their fair share to balance the budget and invest in critical resources like education and health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about this with uh, Terry Cosgrove uh, for many, many months. Terry always said, Ben, put your big boy pants on and vote for the billionaire. And the reality is this. In the past, the Democrats have never been able to muster the votes, uh, um, even among their rank and file, to put this uh, on the ballot, to get this referendum on the ballot. And that was because uh, Mike Madigan would be protecting his uh, Democrats who are in sort of swing districts that would be uh, subjected to barrage of uh, their of uh, literature during the campaign attacking them as uh, tax and spend liberals. And the attitude, I guess, is that um, to a certain degree, Pritzker can protect uh, through his uh, all the money he has, uh, his the, the Democrats who are running for re-election, uh, who've signed on to this, and he can help finance their campaign. So that's what uh, you got, Democrats, when you elected a billionaire as the leader of your state. That's politics in the 21st century, folks. Money talks. So, yes, J.B. Pritzker's graduated income tax plan will be on the ballot in the 2020 general election. Will the rest of Illinois step up to the plate and take a swing at fixing this broke-ass state of ours and vote for it? (laughs) Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. But we can promise you one thing, Illinoisans, all right? During all of this time until the 2020 election, our Illinois friends of the conservative persuasion will soon take over your televisions and computer screens with crap like this. J.B. Pritzker says his tax plan is all about fairness. The fair tax. Fair tax. I choose fairness. Can we trust him? The wealthy aren't paying their fair share. But you will if Pritzker gets his way. Tell legislators, don't let him cheat us again. Oh, that was scary. (laughs) But don't worry, because our governor is literally a billionaire, so he will retaliate and equally take over your television with ads like this. False. Nonsensical. Completely incorrect. 
That's what newspapers call the attacks against the fair tax. They can't defeat the plan on its merits, so they're trying to jump it on the low road. Don't you think voters should get to decide whether to change Illinois' tax system? This is fair and necessary. It's time for change. Let's make our tax system fair. Which in turn will cause all of us to go insane, ready to throw out our televisions and computer screens by election day. Yeah, well, that's called uh, called fighting fire with fire, D. And again, going back to Terry Cosgrove, uh, the Democrats now have the money to match the Republicans on this issue. And so, yes, you are absolutely correct. We're going to be hearing a lot of commercials about this for the next, mm, when's that? Oh, my goodness. November 2020. Good God. Between this and the presidential campaign, I'll be losing my mind with happiness because you know I go crazy over campaigns. So there you are. Just like that, you're now in the know of what's going on in Chicago and Illinois. And now you will have an answer the next time someone asks you, hey, what else is news? Let me tell you something. Okay. Something that Leah. All right. Maya. Okay. And Tina, our two o'clock guest, all agree. You did a great job. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. We'll be right back with Maya after this. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's adult entertainment playground. It's the world famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Why, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Benny J, take it away. Yes, indeed. Every Tuesday, my Silver from the Chicago Reader comes in and talks about all the news of the day. So much news going on. Uh, she wasn't here last Tuesday. Maya, we missed you so much. You were on assignment. Is that where you were? Yep. Yeah, I was uh, over at uh, the Stateville uh, prison doing an interview with uh, a man who's incarcerated there who I'm, I'm writing about. And uh, 
yeah, was shocked by the prices in the vending machines, they were charging $12 for yogurt. Yeah, that's They were charging $12 for yogurt wow. and like $7 for six chicken tenders or $6 for seven chicken tenders. Um, insane. I mean, I just, you know, my idea about like getting this new governor in Springfield was like, oh, like there's going to be all kinds of shakeups and all kinds of parts of state government. But it sure seems that nothing much is changing in, in IDOC um, as far as, you know, really making it a more humane environment. I mean, IDOC, the, the, Illinois Department yeah, of Corrections. Yeah, I mean, the families of incarcerated people and like the people who visit folks in prison are some of the poorest people in America. Mm-hmm. To think that, and, and, some, and oftentimes people are getting visits from their kids. Like these are the only times that the kids get to share a meal with a parent if they're incarcerated mm-hmm. is when they visit them in these visiting rooms. And the fact that you have to, that, that like those are the prices is insane. Well, this is, um, I'm not trying to be facetious, but they're considered a captive audience. Yeah, they're a captive uh, market. Yeah, they're captive a ca- market. The families of incarcerated people are a captive market. And exactly. uh, it's, it's, it's uh, a and way it's of- it's disgusting that they're being bled in this way. <laughs> and nobody in the state of Illinois, I can guarantee you this other than perhaps yourself, uh, it's going to stand up on their behalf. No politician would say this is outrageous. This is the way, as far as our our rulers uh, view it, is a, an easy way to raise money. If you follow yeah. what I just said? Yeah, that's that's truly disgusting. Uh, I wonder it, if somebody would come on your show and defend charging twelve dollars for a cup of yogurt. I uh, look share for that. Meal, yeah, you know, I look for with that. Their parent. <laughs> uh, I doubt. I doubt they would defend. You know, I know how they would defend. They go there. I remember this debate broke out uh, on the floor of the General Assembly last year. We're on a tangent within a tangent, but um, it had to do with a bill that would allow people who uh, are in detention, being held without being charged, to vote. And um, so they've not yet been convicted of a crime. They've just been charged with a crime. Yeah, people like in jail. Yeah, Yeah. they're in jail. And the only reason they're in jail is because they don't have money to pay their bail. And so uh, it was a Democratic proposal. I think it was uh, Lieutenant Governor Stratton's proposal. And the Republicans as a whole spoke out against it and denounced it and said, we're sick and tired. Follow me on this one. We're sick and tired of you caring about the criminals looking out for the criminals. What about the victims? Which I find yeah, very- I don't know how charging $12 for yogurt is helping any victims. I'll tell you that much. I don't know what that's supposed to deter, what kind of punishment. I mean, that's just, that, that is nothing but but blatant and and completely ruthless and pointless punishment of poverty. Like for no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, and, and but I, I could just hear the arguments. I'm not making the arguments, but I could just hear the arguments, which is really curious coming from the Republicans who are so concerned about the rights of defendants when it comes to Donald Trump, mm-hmm. but so indifferent to them when it's a poor black person locked up. Uh, but anyway, your point's well taken. So that you had a, a legitimate excuse for not yes. being here. Yeah. You were uh, working on assignment. So as a result, you were not here the day after Lori's inauguration. Mm-hmm. So before we move on to our discussion of the day, and Maya has homework sheet for me here uh before we move on to our discussion of the day on the intricacies of how the city of chicago will be ruled or at least the city council will be ruled through these committee chair assignments talk about your general thoughts you i gave you all the credit i gave you credit in print i gave you credit on the air for getting Mm -hmm. me up early to get over to the inauguration wouldn't have made it without you uh (laughs) so what was your general thoughts about the inauguration Um, you know it was it was kind of an interesting event i've never been to one before so uh yeah I guess uh, I 
thought it was a, a pretty good speech that she gave, um, not too long, and making some kind of important points and making some big promises. And like you'd pointed out in your column, there was some, you know, the the early on sort of sideways digs at Rom by talking about reinvesting in mental health care and um, sort of... Uh, doing all this like signaling to her support to her base of support that like she's going to be different from rom you know i thought it was a uh, pretty there's little to object to um in the speech and uh the, you know i thought it was kind of weird because even before the whole ceremony was over like as soon as she finished her speech people just started bolting like People were just like streaming out of that arena immediately after she stopped talking, which like, okay, this isn't, you know, this isn't like as rude as leaving like a theater performance before the actors, you know, take their bows or whatever. But like, I don't know. I thought it was weird. I was like, why are people in such a rush to leave? Uh, I don't know if they were just sick of sitting there or what, but it seemed like um, a weird, a weird ending to the party. Well, you know, I, I've... I thought the same thing, and it's, I don't know, it's everybody has a job, like they're looking at their wristwatch. I'm busy. Everybody's busy. <laughs> Time to perform being busy. Yeah, I'm busy now. <laughs> uh, that's like when I'm talking to somebody on the phone, and they go, I really gotta go. You know, you know, Maya's always making fun. I'm the, I always love to talk on phones. I don't like texting. I'm, I really am a baby boomer. So like, when I'm talking to somebody on the phone, they'll say, uh, I'm really busy, I gotta go. And then I'm like... I'm busy too. I got things to do too. So I think that was sort of a collective thing that mm-hmm. was going. I'm busy. I've got to get back to the yeah. office. Yeah. So everyone's busy, busy, busy. All right. One of the things they're really busy about in the uh, Chicago City Council, and tomorrow's the big meeting. Yep. Uh, Lori Lightfoot's first meeting. First City Council meeting uh, with uh, with Lori Lightfoot and the new council. Yep. Yeah. All right. So explain to people the significance. Uh, we're going to go through some of these committee chairs, but the significance of who gets to be the chairman or chairwoman of a city council committee. Yeah, so uh, city council committees are uh, composed of like a handful of alder people uh, who um, essentially the committee is the place where proposed legislation gets uh, decided and approved before it goes to the full city council to finally be like entered into city law. And really all the action on um, the decisions that happen in the city, that the decisions the city council makes, like all the action happens in these committees. Because by the time that um, things go to a vote in front of the full city council, all the votes are already tallied. Like everybody knows how everyone's gonna vote, all the major, like when people are invited to, you know, members of the public are invited to give their two minute comments at the city council meeting, you know, and people line up and they prepare and they, they give the, the you know their little speeches like none of that like the aldermen aren't even listening most of the time they're they've already decided how they're going to stand on a certain issue and maybe one or two people could be swayed if like children cry particularly hard about something but in 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 general uh the 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 real action the real like sort of deliberative process is supposed to be happening in uh the city council uh committee uh arena and most people who watch the council closely say that even the in the committee like already people have already decided how they're going to vote that like the real action happens in the back room yeah. you know the back room deal the people people are convinced outside of the public eye and um but the the reason that 
the chairs of the committees are are interesting and important is because those are the people that decide what even gets discussed what what is going to get uh, a chance to be uh, debated in any way uh, what's going to be voted on and so they sort of set the terms of the conversation in city government and weirdly in the city the committees who are made up of aldermen are are chaired by other aldermen but are the chairs are decided by the mayor so the mayor proposes who the chairs who she wants as chairs or he Mm -hmm. and then the full city council votes to approve and i have never ever heard of there being some kind of massive vote no for a committee chair that uh that a mayor has proposed have you well yes uh in uh in the whole history of the city of chicago or the modern history of the city of chicago which i guess the modern history begins in 1955 when mayor richard j daly was elected in 1983 we've talked about this on the show Mm. harold washington was elected mayor of the city of chicago first black man ever elected mayor of the city and uh within i don't know a few weeks there was a revolt in the city council led by ed burke and edward doyak Mm -hmm. and all the white guys got together and they took control of the council on the grounds that it would be horrific for the city to have a black man running things. And they, the aldermen, uh, selected who the chair chairman of the council committees would be defying Mayor well, Washington. But what did they just, uh, did they vote no on his picks and say, and said that like, we'll only vote yes if you put these people? No, what they did was they organized their own uh, slate of chairs uh-huh. and then they pass it because again, it's it's a strong council, weak mayor, they have the votes. So um, presumably tomorrow, if there were 26 aldermen willing to vote against Lori Lightfoot, yeah. they could come up with their own separate slate of chairs yeah. and then elect that. There, so Lori Lightfoot would have one of her aldermen put into uh, motion a her proposals for who would be the chairman. Right. And we have them right here. Uh, we'll go through that. Uh, and then let's say Alderman Ed Burke, if he wanted to, or if he had the, uh, the votes, could submit his uh, proposals and then there would be a debate and whoever had the most votes would win. And in 1983, the alderman, the anti-Harold mm-hmm. Washington alderman uh, had the votes and they were victorious. Harold actually took it to court uh-huh. and he lost. And I mean, as much as I was a supporter of Harold Washington, I, I don't see how he could win because there were 29 uh, votes for the Vidoliak slate, mm-hmm. 21 for Harold, 29 beats 21. Yeah. Only when it comes to electing presidents of the United States, Maya, <laughs> does majority not rule. It's right. interesting. Oh, it's the most important election in the country. Anyway. Well, so there's no, but there's no reason, we don't have any reason to think that tomorrow there's going to be some kind of uprising and these committee shares aren't going to be approved. Like the assumption is that who the mayor uh, Lightfoot is nominate, you know, putting forward, nominating for committee chairmanships that those people are going to be approved. And so that brings us to the actual list. So okay. we've got, um, let's see, we've got, uh, 12, uh, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, 15, 15 mm-hmm. committees that are already in existence that, um, that, uh, she's, uh, naming chairs for there's also going to be uh four new committees um that don't currently exist and don't have chairs so um the 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 makeup of the of of these of of these chair like chairs is interesting because you've got people who are, have sort of cultivated a reputation for independence and kind of um uh i don't know people who have shown a, a history of being brave enough to speak out against the mayor and who kind of have some progressive bona fides um, who are now uh, moving into chair roles and 
optimists out there will say, oh, great, we're finally going to have honest, ethical, responsible leadership in these committees. And, you know, the cynics out there are going to say, oh, these people are becoming toadies. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, I, I've cynics. already heard both opinions. So, um, yeah, so Scott Wagesbeck, 32nd Ward Chair, um, so 32nd Ward Alderman is um, going to be the new Finance Committee Chair, which is a big change from Ed Burke uh, mm-hmm. or Pat O'Connor. Um, I think that whatever happens this is not going to be more of the same of ed burke maybe he doesn't maybe scott isn't going to do much of anything at all but i i just kind of feel like he just doesn't have the kind of pull that ed burke did or does to 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 to, to wield power in that position to, to with the same degree of destruction so um i also uh Let's see, who else? Oh, Sue Garza. So we saw her after the inauguration. She was very excited about being the chair of the Committee on Workforce Development. The, mm-hmm. You know, labor issues are her thing. And uh, she told us she was uh, super psyched about being committee chair, even though their budget is getting cut in half. That's, mm-hmm. I think she said it was like 600. It went from mi- 600 to 300. I think she said million? something. Million? Thousand. Yeah, thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> 600, <laughs> yeah, so 600,000 to 300,000, but she's still yeah. excited. She claims she's not going to be selling out. Uh, you know, we'll see how, how she does in that role. And uh, then you have, uh, you know, I kind of broke it down by what, like, where these uh, chairs are coming from. So mm-hmm. I did, like, you know, by parts of the city. So there's three West Side aldermen who are named to committee chairs three from the northwest side three from the north side um three from the south side uh two from the southwest side and then sugarsa southeast side so i feel like they're distributed fairly equitably um in terms of representing of the whole city the new committees so there's going to be ethics and good government that should be interesting uh going to be chaired by michelle smith from lincoln park um there's also going to be contracting oversight and ethics i think this is like super to 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 deal with possible wheeling and dealing of of city contracts getting assigned you know in paper pay for play fashion and carrie austin um who's a south side alderman is is going to be chairing that and then they have the other two new committees are public health and human relations and environment and energy and for some reason the press release didn't list who she wanted as chairs of those committees but Um, I think that the most interesting thing about this list is the people who don't have any history of really being leaders or naysayers or uh, really like dynamic members of the council who are suddenly in these chair positions. And maybe you can explain to folks why it would be beneficial to have someone who doesn't have much of a history of speaking up, um, chairing anything. So um, the people that stand out are, uh, so Emma Mitz, who, you know, the champion of the COP Academy, uh, Westside Alderman, she's getting to be the chair of the Committee on License and Consumer Protection. Now, I don't think that she, I don't know if she's ever been a committee chair. This may be her first chairmanship. I don't, I don't think she's ever had one before. Um, and then, um, who else did I see on? Oh, yeah. So Howard Brookins, 21st Ward, mm-hmm. uh, chair of Committee of Transportation Public Way. Again, uh, Howard Brookins, bar- you know, barely won this runoff. Uh does I don't know what relationship he has with Lori Lightfoot that that she's scratching his back now, but inter- I think it's an interesting choice. And then, um, yeah, I don't know what you, you've been awfully quiet. Tell well, me what no, I'm about these. The, the my general sense of how this went down is that what Lori the challenge she had was to guarantee that she got 26 votes to confirm 
these committee these these committee chairs, mm-hmm. and that she had twenty six aldermen at least because there's fifty aldermen. Let's do the math. Great mm-hmm. moments in math. Where's Dan Biss when we need him? There's fifty <laughs> aldermen in the Chicago City Council, so technically you only need twenty five because then the mayor gets to cast the deciding vote. Right. But you know it'll look good. Let's say we need twenty six. So you need twenty six to pass her legislation, mm-hmm. and so what the mayor was doing, in my humble opinion, and she doesn't share her thoughts with me, but this is my interpretation, was guaranteeing that she had at least 26 votes Mm -hmm. uh, on any legislation, that she could control legislation in the city council by making aldermen happy. And so in order to do that, she had to sort of like reach across the aisle, if you will, to use uh, that metaphor, even though everybody's a Democrat with the exception of one alderman who didn't get a committeeman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Your favorite uh, 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 Napolitano, uh, one Republican in the city council did not get a chair. So, yeah. uh, So she had to reach across the aisle and make amends and say, okay, even though you didn't support me in the mayor's race, I'm still going to give you a chair. Now don't join Ed Burke's faction or Anthony Beal's faction, who are two of the the aldermen who are supposedly working behind the scenes to try to put together. Who's in Anthony Beal's faction? Nobody. (laughs) Anthony Beal. this is fascinating. Yeah. Who is he organizing against Lori Lightfoot and why? Well, because... Uh, the Ray Lopez was some of the names. There were some aldermen who were dissidents who uh, who were allowing themselves or allowing themselves to be quoted as a critical of Mayor Lightfoot and talking about uh, how they don't like the fact that Scott Wagesback would be the, the committee chair. And so Lori Lightfoot was sort of putting out the word that uh, they were all connected to Ed Burke. And so in order to keep anybody from even thinking about going to Ed Burke, and I've always said uh, my I don't understand why any city council person would in a million years side with Ed Burke, who's about to be uh, indicted. He's already uh, been indicted. Well, no, he's been criminally charged. I've now right, learned that's the distinction. In- in- indicted. No, well, whatever. It's not an official indictment. I, he I, hasn't been convicted of anything. No, he has not been officially indicted. That's, there's a distinction. There's what? criminal. I know there's a criminal charge. I'm looking at Jacob Kaplan, our next guest, and he's nodding along. There's something. It, we're on a tangent within a tangent within a tangent. But the fact of the matter is, yes, all right, he's, been, uh, he's in trouble. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. And so why would any alderman want to join him? So in other words, she passes out these lollipops, which is being uh, chair, getting the chair committee. And then for four votes, for four years, she'll get their votes. Right. Well, so like, you if know Emma what? Mitz, Let me tell you something. Some of these people are great at giving up their votes for four years. For example, Emma Metz or, or, um, or Walter Burnett, great at giving up his votes. Um, let's see, who else? Uh, Howard Brookins. Yeah. Um, I, oh, George Card- Cardenas. Yep, great, these are great, 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 uh, great uh, troops yeah. to have on your side. Um, yeah, and also Tom Tunney, I guess, is going to be the floor leader now. Oh, is that right? I he's the chairman so. of the zoning. He's. I thought. He, uh, so he's going to be chair of zoning. Okay. By the, which, by the way, what do you think that's going to be like? Well, would a would a committee, a zoning committee chaired by Tom Tunney, have approved the seventy eight? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and the, the only issue, in my humble opinion, I've said this many times, it's it's not that any of these aldermen are going to use their new power to be independent bastions of of creative thought and challenge the mayor. That's not what aldermen do. Aldermen exchange their control over local matters like zoning for favorable votes on whatever the mayor wants. And so this is why it's so interesting that Chicago Tribune's editorial board 
which I rarely agree with anything they write. Here they are weighing in, calling this a glorious moment. Wednesday, glorious moment, showdown day, the tribunal, because Scott Wagesback is in charge of the Committee on Finance. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love Scott Wagesback dearly, and I think he'll be a a immense improvement over Ed Burke, if only because he doesn't have a property tax business that he's running on the side to shake down potential TIF recipients, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that conflict of interest is gone. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, so much of what will happen down the road depends on what the mayor introduces Mm -hmm. because it's the mayor who controls things in the city of Chicago. So will Scott be an independent overseer of what Mayor Lightfoot comes up? You know, he owes his chairmanship to Lori Lightfoot. Right. And so will he... This is why people are immediately saying that this, this means he's sold out. Well, yes. <laughs> that's so harsh. It I mean, is, it is very so, harsh. What is to sell out? She hasn't proposed. You have to propose something in order to sell out. Like it's kind of like Jacob Kaplan proposes that from here on out, everybody has to wear what? A MAGA hat in the city of Chicago. And because I got to be the chairman of the committee on finance, I get up and say, you know, Mayor Kaplan, that's a great idea. We should all wear MAGA. That's selling out. Okay. Yeah. But she hasn't proposed that. It's true. Chicagoans are so cynical. Uh, God, you guys, you've accused him of selling out. She hasn't done anything. So, uh, by the way, the, the, uh, the, I was wrong about the floor leader. So, floor leader is Viegas. What is the deal with Viegas? I feel like he's one of these aldermen who you really don't hear much about. I don't understand how he became such a mover and shaker that now he's like tight with Lori Lightfoot and is going to be a committee chair and the floor leader. Well, I tell you what, that's a conversation we'll have with Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshelsky because they know party politics in the city of Chicago. And they know what Gilbert of Vegas means. What does uh, he mean? I want to know what Alderman he means. Alderman of 36 wards, a consolidation of power from the northwest side. Hispanics working in connection with Polish Americans. This is Danny Pokoszewski's great theme. And uh, so it, in a sense, uh, it's, how do I put this? They represent sort of like a mainstream voter on the northwest side as opposed to real liberal people like myself, if you follow mm-hmm. what I'm saying. And then there's like the Republican-leaning voters who are represented by people like Nick Spazzato and Ariel Reboiris, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There, barely any of them in the city of Chicago. I think Trump got 20% of the vote in the last election. Is that right, Jacob? He's nodding. Is it Jacob Kaplan, the, the executive director of the Democratic Party of Illinois, is uh, in the studio, knows everything about uh, politics. And uh, so, yeah, so there, there's hardly even any Republicans in the city of Chicago, but she did not give any chair uh, to any uh, to Na- Napolitano, uh, he got, but Spazzato got oh, a chair. Oh, my guy, Chair of Committee on Special Events, Cultural Affairs, and Recreation. That sounds like the Party Planning Committee. Yeah. I want to know what kind of party <laughs> Nick Spazzato is going to throw. Yeah, Nick Spazzato, uh, and uh, yes, he did vote for Trump. He actually he came on he the seemed, show. I don't know if he's a guy who likes to have fun. You know, he just seems like very dour and serious and negative a lot. There, I'll tell you what. I'm now going to defend Nick Spazzato. Is he Here a we, party guy? Uh, I don't know if he's a party animal, but Nick Spazzato, uh, I remember when he came into office, was very much uh, a. Uh, sort of a, a, a challenge, a maverick, that's the word I want. Not an independent, but like a maverick. And uh, in that first term, when Rom was cutting funding for the schools and the schools uh, were having trouble round, r- raising enough money to have toilet paper, I'm not making this mm-hmm. up, they didn't have supplies. Yeah. Nick Spazzato did a toilet paper drive, which Mayor Rom was not happy with because it embarrassed mm. him. And they were like 
hundreds and hundreds of rolls of toilet paper were donated to the Knicks. So I got a soft spot in my heart for Nick Spazzato that everybody makes fun of me for. But uh, anyway, obviously, he endorsed Lori. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the uh, in the runoff yeah. against Tony Preckwinkle, and he is a member of the Chicago Firefighters mm-hmm. Union, yeah. and that is her way of extending an, yeah, olive, branch. an olive branch. Uh, and well, Matt O'Shea is also a way to extend an olive branch. Nineteenth uh, Ward Alderman Matt O'Shea, chair of the Committee of Aviation, it's also a way to you know uh, give the bird to Napolitano, I guess. Uh, but you know the the midway is close enough to the Nineteenth Ward, um, so that's an important for Midway, for people on the southwest side, it's usually... To have aviation. Yes, to have aviation to- because you have hearings on expansion of airlines and when the airplanes are coming in too close and making too much noise, uh, they could show their constituents that they're looking out for their interest. I know Jacob Kaplan could tell us who the last alderman was the chairman of the 20th, he's from the 23rd Ward and he was chairman of the Aviation Committee and his name was Zulewski. Am I right about that? Do I know my stuff or what? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's an insane amount of knowledge. Here's well, the thing, uh, yeah. Maya, I got a big kick out of uh, on the France Billman show, Michael, uh, excuse me, um, Matt O'Shea came on mm-hmm. and he was being interviewed by Fran, mm-hmm. Matt O'Shea, the alderman of the 19th Ward. Uh, and they, he was opining that Scott Wagesback, I talked about this, I couldn't get, get over this. Scott Wagesback was sort of like arrogant, didn't get along with others, didn't play well with others. What? I, I know, aldermen in the city of Chicago, I love you dearly, but you're all out of your minds. And because Scott Wagesback dared to disagree with some of the really dumb ideas that our <laughs> mayors have proposed down through the years, including the parking meter deals, mm-hmm. he made the other guys look bad. You get what I'm saying? Because they yeah. voted well, for him. Well, don't be stupid, and then you won't look bad. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't that like how you solve that problem? <laughs> yes. You would think that would be the easy way to solve it. But yeah. instead, they turned it in. It's like kids in high school or in a cafeteria, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, he was mean. Yeah. You know, oh, he doesn't get that. along with others. Oh, my God. Oh, you know what? You know who else I'm, a, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they'll do is my alderman, Harry Osterman, is now uh, going to be the chair of the Housing and Real Estate Committee. Oh. Now... I, you know, I'm interested in housing issues and spent a lot of time working on housing, real estate related stories. So I'm, yeah, I'll be very curious to see, you know, uh, now that the Joe Moore era of housing committee chairmanship is over, um, what if anything Harry Osterman is going to bring to the table? Yeah. He's, he's long, you know. Well, he did. Of, Let's give Harry Osterman credit. He mm-hmm. spoke out against the two TIF deals. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what is it? North sideification? Yeah, North sideification. He said that. And I give him a lot of credit. He came yeah. out strong against yeah, them. Yeah, but you know, where was he like months before that? But anyways. Well, sorry, you know, everybody takes their time. Okay, yeah, some right. take longer than others. By the way, young Daniel Pogoshevsky, who will be joining <laughs> Jacob Kaplan, just give me this update. Oh, yeah? Uh, explaining why Matt O'Shea is so important. Oh, yeah, let's see. And he says, quote, and I'm quoting this literally uh, update. I don't, I'm not sure I agree with it, but he says, Lori Lightfoot got 95% of the vote in Mount Greed when Mount Greed was the Southwest Side neighborhood uh, in the 19th Ward. I do not believe she got 95% of the vote. Do you think she got 90, 95%? You know, easily checkable. Keep, well, keep reading the quote. Well, that's it. That's the end of the not. quote. We, we have our... Intrepid crew well, they, of researchers. They weren't uh, going to we vote sp- for. They vote. They weren't going to vote for Tony in Mount Greenwood. Well, they okay. Hate so taxes. just just so we know, uh, Mount Greenwood is a neighborhood within. Uh, it's uh, just west of Beverly, so it's within a ward. So mm-hmm. it's not like you can just look at the 19th ward and say, "Well, that's the Mount Greenwood vote." I know for certain, 95 percent of the in, of the vote in the 19th ward did not go for Lori Lightfoot. So what you're asking is to have a subset within a a, lar- a larger group, and I just do not believe that 
Yeah, uh, I'm about. We're about to fact check I'm this, sorry. Ben. It doesn't matter what you believe. The facts are the facts. Uh oh, young Daniel. Lightfoot eighty. Uh, hey, yeah. Fact. You, well, Lightfoot eighty four point three percent. Okay, eighty four point three percent. By the way, young Daniel. But oh, 50%. charge your phone. It's a low in batteries. Go where, ahead. where are you getting the ninety five percent? I know he made it right, up. No, right here. If you look at right down here, this part of Mount Greenwood, you'll see it's well over ninety percent, and that's where it's ninety five. Oh, oh, you're talking about section. just. I was going on the nineteenth ward. Yeah, that's what I was saying. No, I was saying the Mount ward. Greenwood is a subset within okay. a larger right. area, okay. and you can't just look at the ward. You have to look at the and uh, the precinct level. Look, look, there look you go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Right uh, Danny Pogoshelsky wow. is making it. He really got owned. Yeah, it. no, he, he, you got to give him credit. He had it on his phone, and his phone, by the way, is now roughly 15% charged. Do they not have chargers anywhere? The millennials, they don't have charged their phones. That's a whole other issue. Well, look, Thanks, Daniel. Uh, I, I guess to, to, to basically, we don't know. We, it's hard to predict what's going to happen, but some of these people have a history of, of, of being active in their jobs and others not so much uh, in their jobs as legislators in the city of Chicago. Yeah. So I'll be curious to see, you know, where the, where the well, action is. Here we is. go. So let, let's give an example. It all, again, the, the mayor of the city of Chicago is the one who uh, directs the traffic. Mm -hmm. So let's, it all, a lot of this depends on what Lori Lightfoot is going to do. Say Lori Lightfoot comes up with a really dumb idea, like mm -hmm. to uh, take property tax dollars and fund an upscale project in a gentrifying neighborhood. Mm -hmm. hmm, like a certain mayor, what was his name, did in, uh, as he ran out of office. How will, let's say, Scott Wagesback treat that in the finance committee? Will he be as critical of Lori Lightfoot's dumb idea as he was of that dumb idea when it was Mayor Rahms. And again, how will uh, Harry Osterman and housing, you know, it would have to go through his committee too, but say if they have to buy land that yeah. goes through the housing committee, will be he, he is critical or will they suddenly say, you know, when Mayor Lightfoot proposes a dumb idea, it's not so dumb. You get what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I want to hear that fire. Yeah, you want to hear that fire. Where, where's the Scotty we know and love? <laughs> Once again, we'll the guy hasn't here. even sold out, and we're already... Has he sold out? Yeah. No, yeah. it's... Uh, anyway, yeah, so that's how they do it. They uh, dole out these committee chairs to people to win their votes, to pay them back. Uh, it's prestige. It's jobs. They get to have a few staff positions. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some, you know... What the, do they do with their budget? Like that $300,000... Well, you get you know. to hire somebody. So you, that's just for jobs? Yeah. They don't get to do anything else with it? Well, you know, actually, I used to... Uh, it's been a while since I took a look at one of these budgets, but like sometimes I buy, like, uh, subscribe to magazines for the office. I'm not Ooh, making this stuff all up. Right. Postage, you know. I remember once I did a story where I really got into the weeds and taking a look at, uh, like, all the, the... Like, the, the breakdown mm -hmm. of a budget. And, yeah, like, subscriptions and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And the cable TV and I don't... You know, and all kinds of stuff. You know, you get a TV, a nice TV for your office. People come in, and, well, there's a nice looking TV, you know. Uh, so that's your tax dollars at work, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway, will you be at the city council meeting tomorrow? Yeah, I think I'm going to go tomorrow and see what happens. All right, very yeah. good. Uh, and so that means that when you come here next week, you'll be able to report on it. Yeah. All right, Maya, thank you uh, very much. I presume you're going to uh, say hello to each and every single one of these people. Tell them all that I'll be thinking of them as they uh, 
usher in Lori Lightfoot as the new mayor. I'll Chicago. tell them all Ben is watching. Ben is watching, even though that won't be technically true because I'll be here in the studio. Maya is uh, heading out to do some more research. Love having her on the show. I guess we're going to bring Jacob and Daniel on. Uh, our next guest, Tina, hasn't shown up. I don't know where she is. She got... What's that? Oh, she'll be here in two minutes. All right, very good. We'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody. What you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind, but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F-M as in Mary, A-N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T.com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. See the city from a whole new angle on a Chicago Architecture Center tour. With more than 85 tours to choose from, there are endless stories to discover. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm on a tour. Oh my, what magnificent architecture. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicola Fayette. All right, everybody, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is just moments away. But before we get into that, we would like to thank the following unions once again for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Thank you once again to those unions for jumping on board and bringing back the Ben Jarofsky show. And of course, today's program is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. It is Tuesday, May 28th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show.
in this hour of the program. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show debut of Sun-Times writer Tina Svandellas. And it's the return of Dan Pogoshelsky and Jacob Kaplan. Around here, we call them the Illinois political know-it-alls. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Yes, indeed. Uh, Jacob Kaplan and Dan Pogoshelsky uh, sitting on deck, ready to come on. They've already sort of made their debut on the show, explaining where I'm wrong. Danny loves telling me when I'm wrong. And uh, trotting out his cell phone, which needs to be charged. We're going to bring them on. Tina Svandelis is in the studio. She's never been on our show before. This is a big moment for us. She, of course, the political reporter for the Sun-Times. She's about to head off, get, hop in that little Ferrari of hers, drive down to Springfield. Right. Uh, <laughs> Ferraris at the Sun-Times. Yeah, those reporters of the Sun-Times and their Ferraris. Uh, what would that sound like, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, here we go. She's got this blue Mustang, just like this one right here. <laughs> uh, anyway, she's going to hop on in that car and go down to Springfield and uh, finish covering. Uh, well, we got till Friday, I guess, and that's the right. session's over Friday. Uh, so we'll be going through all uh, what she expects to happen in the next few days, what has happened already. Lots of good stuff. And then we're going to bring her back next week. We're going to get double out of Tina, all right? Nice, nice. Uh, To talk about what went down. Uh, so before we uh, bring Tina on, you got an update for us, young man? Absolutely. Real quick. Big news, everybody. The Ben Jarofsky Show reached 1,500 likes on Facebook over the weekend. That's right. We're going places. Oh, yeah, we are. Oh, hey, Ben. And uh, you see that mountain up ahead there? Whoa. See that up there? Oh, Mount man. Dan Pokoshelsky. No, it's 2,000 yeah. likes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're getting closer, buddy. Just keep right. your head down. Keep We're your there. head please, to the sky. Please don't sing. Oh, okay, we just reached 1,500 likes and to celebrate we're doing what we always do we're having a caption contest this time it's a mayor rom jb pritzker caption contest (laughs) hold it now head over to our facebook page and leave us your caption at benny j show b-e-n-n-y the letter j show the picture just begging for your caption is pinned on the top of the page it's one of our now former mayor rom emmanuel he's giving a speech and per usual he's got a goofy look on his face but standing behind the former mayor uh with a bit of a smirk on his face is our Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. It's pretty hilarious. Leave us your caption. We're going to keep this contest open until the end of Thursday's program, okay? Ooh, who's the guest on Thursday? Okay, don't program. look it up now. Sorry. Look it up okay. afterward. Okay. And Ben, get this. Unlike most of our contests, we have something to give away to our winners. <laughs> what? <laughs> Frozen steaks? What? No. No uh, fake steaks or uh, non-existent blue Mustangs this time around. Our top three <laughs> captions for this week's caption contest will get a pair of tickets to see, oh, your favorite uh, word here, Cirque de Soleil. Oh, I remember that we had the guys on the, the show last week. Yeah, yeah. The circus people, you called them. <laughs> Cirque de Soleil Volta show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's now at Soldier Field until July 6th. So the winners, our top three captions, will get tickets to that. Best of luck to our captioners. Let's read a few of the captions we have thus far. Once again, former Mayor Rahm Emanuel giving a speech. Smug look on his face. Pritzker standing behind him. Smirk on his face. Picture that as I read Tony's caption. Tony writes, this is a bit of a long one here. Tony puts, Rom contemplating his bike ride and making millions in hedge fund industry while Pritzker thinks, this guy's so smug, too busy writing articles in the New York Times and Atlantic to even wear a tie. I still have more money than him. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) It's got a ways to go, Rom. Got some hedge funds to work for before you get there. Up next, it's Hannah's Post. Hannah posted, hi, I'm Rom Emanuel, and I'm a NASA. Okay. (laughs) 
Watch your language. Hey, come on. Clean it up, man. But I'm better than a daily, she said. All right. Up next, Beth's caption. Uh, I guess this is Rom talking here. It says, my mom always told me I was so much better than these other jerks, and she's still correct. Oh, yeah. That's how. That's Rom's point of view. Here's Rachel's caption. No one can clean up the mess I made. We have <laughs> another Rachel sending us a caption. Once again, the picture, Rom uh, giving a speech. Governor Pritzker standing behind him, looking uh, kind of smug. Rachel's caption. Pritzker thinking, I wanted to be new. Uh, I wanted to be you. Now you want to be me. Yeah, yeah. He wants to be governor. And we'll read one more. This caption comes from Louis Cairo. Wait, we know Louis Cairo. He's that lawyer. Yeah, Lou. with ads on the bus and train. Yeah, Lou Cairo. Yeah, the Lou, great Lou Cairo. Yeah, Lou Cairo waited on the caption contest. It says, uh, "This is Pritzker talking. Thanks for the lessons, Mister Used to Be. I'll make sure not." To make the mistakes you made. Mm-hmm. We'll see about that. Keep the captions coming. We'll announce the winners of our caption contest at the end of Thursday's program at Benny J Show on Facebook. Yeah, and you get those tickets to uh, the circus. All right, D? Get Cirque du Soleil. Uh, no cars, no stakes, nothing like that. All right, Tina Svandellas, before uh, you head off to Springfield, first of all, thanks for making time. I know you're really busy. No problem. Uh, and um, we'll be continuing this conversation with Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshelsky. I know a lot of things you say are going to fuel us. Uh, when we uh, close down the show with a heavy political talk. But let's start. Uh, there are like four issues that are on cheat sheet that I wrote uh, that uh, the, um, the legislature will be uh, uh, deciding. One is the abortion bill. The other is fair tax, gambling, and uh, I call it reefer. Most people in the state of Illinois call it the cannabis bill. All right, let's start with the abortion bill, Reproductive Health Act. Uh, I think it's Senate Bill 25. That's being debated as we speak, isn't it? It just passed about 10 minutes ago. Wow. Yeah. Breaking news. So that was about two hours and 15 minutes of debate. Uh, it um, passed. This is very interesting. House and Senate? The, just the House. I still have to go to the Senate, but they should be doing that soon. And what was the vote? Do you have the vote? I believe it was 64 50. I just mm-hmm. wrote it in my story. I'm clicking on it. Um, it was really an interesting debate. Um, the Republicans had uh, Avery Bourne speak for most of the time. She's very, very pregnant. So. She was emotional. She was asking very specific questions about situations in which an abortion would, they would be able to have an abortion. So it was it was good. It was very interesting. A lot of Democrats spoke. Um, Kelly Cassidy is the sponsor. Also the medical, or I'm sorry, the uh, cannabis sponsor. She just, her speech at the end was great. She said um, to the women, to the war, to the women who are scared that there's a war coming to Illinois, say not on my watch, to the people in Missouri and Alabama and Georgia, not on my watch. So she's put up a fight and she won. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, of course, uh, the backdrop of all this, is, as uh, Kelly Cassidy alluded to in that speech that Tina just quoted, is that in uh, Republican states throughout the country, uh, bills are being passed. The Republicans are passing bills. The governors are signing bills uh, that re- severely restrict uh, or criminalize uh, abor- abortion. That's the case in Alabama. It's now a, a a doctor can go to jail for up to 99 years, I think. Right. Uh, so what is the intent of of the bill, the Reproductive Health Act bill, uh, that's being debated right now in, in Illinois? Um, it is kind of codifying things that we already follow in the state, so such as that, like the doctors would not be criminally charged. There's a lot of things that we have fought under state law that are still in the records. So this bill was meant to try to get those out of there. Um, get They said, get the bad things off the books. That was their intent. Um, there is a new part that they added in, I believe, on Sunday, and that was about viability and health, and that was what the Republicans were very upset about. And there's, you know, the hypotheticals of 
late term women deciding they don't want to have babies, et cetera, and the Democrats say that's not the case, and that it would be the doctors that have the say in, is there a problem with the health, is the mother's life at risk, et cetera. It's not like a free for all, if you don't want to have a baby, you can get rid of your baby late term. What, what do you mean by the viability and health? What's that, what's, what's that sh- uh, short, cha- uh, short for? Here we go. It says, defines a viability as the fetus having a significant likelihood of survival outside the uterus without extraordinary medical measures. Mm-hmm. So it is putting it in the hands of doctors, but we'd have to believe that we have good doctors in Illinois who will be determining whether there is a significant health risk and that we don't have women who just want to get rid of their babies, I would assume. So mm-hmm. like a frivolous decision. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm, I'm now speaking my perspective here. I'm not trying to put my ideas in yours, Tina, but that so much of the Republican uh, rhetoric is, is like this is this easy, frivolous decision that a woman is going to make and just, you know, oh, but, and then go off uh, and get her nails done or something like that. Uh, and it really trivializes uh, what women are going through in this. What were some of the arguments? I don't, did you have a chance to hear the debate? I listened to the whole thing. Oh, well, so yeah. what were the arguments that the Republicans were making? Uh, that was part of it. It was just discussing these these hypothetical examples of like, say you have an ultrasound and you see something's wrong with the heart. Can you make that decision? Um, there's also a provision in there that had about something, an outdated law about if you determine whether the sex of the baby and you don't, they painted these narratives of like, oh, it's a boy, I don't want to have it. And Kelly Cassidy kept saying the doctor will determine the, you know, the proper care, the health of the baby, et cetera. It's not like a choice mm-hmm. of, for late term, for sure. And and the vote came down to 64-50. All, mm-hmm. I presume all the Republicans voted no. Right. And there were a couple of Democrats who did not vote, uh, to, who voted no as well. Mm. And, uh, but it pa- and how did Madigan vote? Did you see? Uh, he was not around on the floor, I believe, but he voted yes on the record. Okay, so. he voted yes on the mm-hmm. record. It's interesting because... It is. He's a Catholic, not really a practicing Catholic, but we're always interested to see what he does on the abortion votes. And uh, so once again, this is different than the the HB40 vote, which went down, what was that, a year ago? I'm losing track of time. Maybe two years ago. Because uh, it got 2017. in trouble before the election. Yes. Yeah. And in that case, they had to worry about uh, the governor's veto. In this case, they do not have to worry about the governor's Absolutely veto. Absolutely not. Um, so uh, what's your sense of how the, the electorate uh, in the state of Illinois stands on this issue? Uh, on the abortion issue? Yeah, the voters themselves. The voters themselves. Uh, I don't know. I think that there is a good contingency in the state who are in Republican districts who do care about this. That's part of the debate. I talked to State uh, Senator Melinda Bush, who's a sponsor in the Senate, who called me during this, and she said, you know what, you're not going to change minds. There are people who are just very black and white with this issue. So it's how you were raised, your experiences, et cetera. I don't think there's any changing of minds. It's just gonna kind of just protect the people who do already believe in us. Do you think there'd be any Democrats whose seats are in jeopardy as a result of voting uh, for this bill? Well, I think that as, as we know, the speaker does this where he can kind of structure things. So I'm sure the ones that did not vote for it have a good reason not to. In other words, yeah. uh, when you say structure things, what you're saying, he gives uh, his members the leeway to vote whatever is in their best political interest. And he always says that. He always says he tells, he's not demanding a vote. He wants them to do it for their for their district. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing Michael Madigan cares very much about is his caucus members getting reelected. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's going to go to the Senate. I don't think there's any doubt that it'll pass overwhelming in the Senate. Right. Correct? We got super majorities in both. Um, yes, the, Senator Bush said she wants to move it quickly. So we'll see that pretty fast. All right. So mm-hmm. that'll probably be one of the first things that passed uh, yesterday. The big news you wrote about it uh, has a picture in the Sun-Times, today's Sun-Times. 
of one of Dan Pogoshelsky's favorite uh, politicians, State Representative Rob Markwick, looking very dapper in a three-piece suit with like, I noticed this that. little chain. Yeah, or Memorial Day outfit. <laughs> oh, is that what that is? I don't know. Uh, I just thought it was a fancy outfit. <laughs> fancy outfit. It's like, is that a watch chain that he has there? Uh, Rob never never dressed that well when he came on the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, anyway, so um, so all right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the graduated income tax, the fair tax. I passed the House uh, and the Senate, and now what's next? Okay, so yesterday we have the House clearing the actual language that will put it on the ballot to say, do you want to get rid of the flat income tax system? We still don't have the rates. That's still moving through. Mm-hmm. Um, but they that's the governor's number one priority, even before pot or anything else. So I do see that going through. So they have to do that. There's also talk about property tax relief, which is essential when you change anything with income tax structure. So they're going to be having a task force this summer to try to come up with some solutions. Now, will that language about the property tax be on the referendum? In other words, will voter will it say, uh, you know, if if you uh, pass uh, this fair tax, if you vote for this fair tax, you'll also be voting for property tax cuts. Will that be that language specific, specific language? I don't believe we know specifically what will be on the ballot for now. All we know is that it will say, do you want to change the flat income tax structure? And that's been the argument of people who don't want to do this, that you should be transparent about the rates. Um, so that's still working its way through. And the Senate, uh, different, the rates were a little bit different than the governor's, but pretty similar. And the House approved uh, an amendment in committee on that, so that that will be moving through very soon. I think maybe today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we'll be talking about this with uh, Jacob and Dan at, at length, I'm sure, when they come on. Were there any Democrats who voted no to the flat tax when it came to the House? I don't believe there were uh, one. There was one that disappeared. <laughs> hold on, <laughs> hold on, Tina. Oh, there he is under the table with the Libertarians hiding out. Yeah. Uh, he disappeared, huh? Yeah. <laughs> So he didn't vote no, he didn't vote yes, he just disappeared? And then they couldn't find him and all sorts of things. This happens sometimes. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just running away. Oh, my goodness. You know, I don't understand what they think they're getting away from. I mean, just vote no. It's, it's a stance. I'm sure there's some. he's upset about some other bill, and he thought that this would send a message. I see. Okay. But as we've seen in the past, this doesn't. this usually doesn't work very well. Uh, no, it doesn't uh, work in tea because everybody knows what they're up to. Uh, and so uh, this will definitely be uh, driving. We're going to hear a lot of commercials about this uh, down uh, the next few months as we head into the election cycle. Gambling bill. Yeah. All right. Talk about the gambling bills that are okay. in front of so there was the big fight with the sports betting between the billionaire owner Neil is it Neil Bloom? You're on radio, so I'm in, I'm a writer, so I think it's Bloom. Right? Yes, Bloom. Okay, Bialy Stock and Bloom. Yeah. There you go. So there's a big fight with him and the fantasy sports sites, mm-hmm. uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, and they're basic. He's basically mad that they've been allowed to run. There was a Lisa Madigan opinion that said that it was unconstitutional their form of gaming. So they wanted he wants a timeout. He wanted them to be on timeout first for six years, then three years. Now it's down to eighteen months. So it's negotiating with these fantasy sports sites. So basically, they would not be able to run for the beginning of this process to give the casinos and like the land owners time to make up for lost time, which I think is pretty unpopular. So in other words, okay, a, uh, a fantasy uh, gambling site is one and where the better what gets to bet on uh, like the game one of the NBA finals, which is on Thursday, correct? Right. And so if presumably they're allowed to operate in the state of Illinois, that means there'll be fewer people gambling at uh, the casinos. Right. So you would say if you're a customer of those, I believe people have accounts and you can vote, you can bet on your phone. 
um, you wouldn't be able to for X amount of time. And instead, if you wanted to vote, or I'm sorry, to bet on a game, you would go into a casino to do it. Ah, so they, they get you in the door. Maybe they give you a drink or something, and then you get to bet. And so this is a battle between two enormous forces in the gambling industry. Right. Uh, and the legislators are, how are, like, how are they tilting? Which, which they have, side? It's giving them headaches. <laughs> um, but the governor yeah. really wants this, and he wants, I believe it's $170 million or so that he thinks we can get from these, from, from the licenses. Um, there's also talk of uh, blending the casino expansion bill, which uh-huh. people are both scared and happy about. So that would mean the potential for Chicago casino. So what? It's Tuesday. We have until Friday. So this needs to move along quickly or we're in trouble. Is uh, Well, when you say we're in trouble, you mean uh, is the budget conti- uh, expecting m- revenue to come in to help balance it? It is. It's not the most amount of money. We're relying on other things. So it's not the end of the world, but it's not great if we don't get it. So they could punt. Right, you know, like which they, is what happens every year. Every end of session, I write a story saying, you know, Bob Rita says the gaming bill is going, and then the next day they're like, sorry, it's too complicated. Is always the excuse that too many there's too many interests. Yeah, I, there are too yeah. many powerful competing interests all, over, all the all crawling, over. <laughs> yeah, all over the place, all over the place. And so you think they would get together and try to cut a deal? You know what I'm saying? But apparently, uh, the fantasy people want it. Just hey, we want you to be able to go right on your phone and uh, do it and right. uh, well, like why would you I mean say you were like an uber thing and you're making money and you're running and you know, unless someone makes you not run for three years I don't know why you would do that absolutely yeah, yeah I remember this debate happening uh, having to do with uh, off-track uh, horse racing and the, the horse racing interested uh, interests were very much opposed to that and then they wanted the uh, to be able to they wanted uh, uh, slot machines and the horse uh, right. at the uh, the track etc and so forth all right that's the gambling bill so I got a feeling I'm going to ask Jacob and Danny about that. I think there's going to be a punt coming uh, on that one, Tina. What about marijuana? Marijuana. Legalization of marijuana. We still have the same problems uh, with the expungements, and that is um, an amendment that uh, Kelly Cassidy, who's sponsoring everything this year, um, (laughs) that she is working on, uh, we don't have the language at. That is a little bit in trouble too, but that's a lot of money. So, and the governor wants it. That's that's the thing that's going for both gambling and marijuana. Is the governor really wants this? And the governor needs the money, he says, to balance the bills. Uh, to, now, wait. When you say the expungement, what's the mm-hmm. pro and the con of that? There are people who believe that the expungements don't go far enough. Um, that they would want more class, you know, different classes of felonies that would be expunged. There are people who say. There's so too much or too little. Um, there's more questions about minority participation, which is part of the gigantic bill anyways, but it's the usual struggle that we get um, with these types of huge things. It's just people are scared of if we, if we legalize, we wanna make sure that the same people who are maybe running medical marijuana aren't running the same thing, that minorities get a stake in it, that we don't screw up the beginning of this process. Mm-hmm. Expungement, so in other words, if you were uh, uh, incarcerated for like possession of marijuana you would presumably get your record expunged then the issue is well what about if you're selling marijuana do you get your record expunged for that Uh, that's the debate going on are there any republicans right now who are signed on uh, to vote for the legalization of uh, marijuana i don't know of any i have not totally checked in the roll call on that just because things are so fluid and Mm -hmm. we need that new amendment to get more people on board 
Um, so I'm not really sure. And what about uh, Republicans signing on for the expansion of gambling? I think uh, yes. So isn't that Definitely. interesting? Yes, Vices. there's a lot of people I talk to who hate the graduated income tax, but they're very pro expanded gambling. It's, <laughs> it's like the the sin the sin taxes. They're yeah. very pro. Well, and, there's a whole fight with that too, with alcohol, with the lobbyists all over the Capitol, all sorts of things going on about like a tax on beer and cider and yes. all this stuff. So people are mad. It, 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 it's it's just the Republicans are very curious. I cannot wait to have this conversation uh, with Jacob and Daniel. The Republicans are very interesting. They're all over the map when it comes to vices. All right. So apparently they're very much opposed to marijuana uh, as a vice, but not so much gambling as a vice. Okay. And choosing their vices. They choose their vices. It's mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, I have my own personal views on this. Now, do do you have a personal opinion about which vice is worse, gambling, marijuana, or alcohol? Um, as a political reporter, no comment. Okay. And as a human being? <laughs> as a human being, no comment. Very good. All right. You can't trick uh-huh. Tina Spondellas. I was already warned. What's that? By other reporters. What? You would ask for opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give them your opinions. Uh-huh. All right, Tina Spondellas. I'm going to let you get in that car and drive down to Springfield and get you back next week. Do you have any predictions? How about predictions? Yeah, we're going to have a budget. Mm-hmm. Yay. That's good. Okay. Okay, and I think that uh, yeah, Capital, be- hello, for how many years we were struggling and we were scared and I was stuck in Springfield for all the holidays, and now we're probably going to have a budget. This and, is good and news. So, and so this, uh, they will not go into uh, special session. They will not go into... Well, uh, we'll see, unless the governor really wants to push some of these other measures. Yeah, no, that gambling thing is going to be the real tie-up. All right, very good, Tina. I'll let you get in the car. Thank right, you so thank much. You. you came in and came out without a, a, expressing one opinion, uh-huh. just yeah. the facts. Harder. All right, but it won't be that easy for Jacob Kaplan and Danny Pogoshelsky to dock and dodge on their opinions. We'll bring them on when we return. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Oh my, look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Cirque du Soleil's Big Top comes back to Chicago with its latest show, Volta. Venture into a captivating voyage of discovery inspired by the adventurous spirit of freedom where a surge of action sparks a high-voltage journey. Volta. Playing May 18th through July 6th under the Big Top at Soldier Field. Tickets at CirqueDuSoleil.com. Volta thanks their partners Hennessy Black and Champagne Nicolas Fayette. Today's Ben Jarofsky Show is also brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. It's a thrift shop located at 6241 North Broadway. And guys, it's awesome. Furniture, appliances, lamps, books, clothes, electronics. Guys, it's a thrift shop, but... 
It's the only thrift shop in Chicago that helps bring you the Ben Jarofsky Show. So, if you're ever on Broadway between Granville and Devon, tell them thank you and go check out Green Element Resale, 6241 North Broadway, and find more information at Green elementresale.com now guys i know this next part may sound a little biased because they're sponsors of the show but it's the best thrift shop in the world commercial break over welcome back to the ben jarofsky show yes indeed we are back we're live tina svandelis has left the building she's left the building she's in her car drying down the springfield i hope she obeys all the speed laws but uh, danny pogoshelsky and jacob kaplan to our favorite guests come here once a month or so uh, take the deep dive in politics the political know-it-alls are sitting here danny's already made his debut on the show for today <laughs> bossing me around showing me how to use facebook uh telling me he was right and i was wrong about mount greenwood's vote still <laughs> face was in the camera a few times <laughs> yes, during yes, Tina's right. interview. Uh, <laughs> can't, can't get away from Dan. No, young uh, Daniel. Uh, outsized personality. Yes, indeed. So uh, lots. I have a whole cheat sheet of stuff to talk about. National politics, state politics, local politics. Probably follow up on some of the stuff that Tina was uh, getting into. The abortion bill. Uh, the politics of abortion throughout the country right now. Republicans think they have a winning combination on this one. I think they're lunatics. Uh, fair tax gambling reefer. Uh, and then the city council realignment. Donald Trump has lost his freaking mind in so many ways. What else is new? Uh, what else is new? Uh, so before believe we... Uh, me. Believe me. Whoa, Danny with a Donald Trump imitation. Before we bring him on, you got an update for us, young man? No collusion. Oh, okay. <laughs> and no reports. Oh, okay, very good. We'll get right down to it. All right, gentlemen. Uh, uh, Jacob Kaplan is, of course, the executive director. I think I promoted you. You did. I, I think I, one, I got so excited <laughs> calling you the chairman of the Democratic Party of Cook County, but you're the executive director. And young Daniel uh, used to work for Rob Martwick. That's right. That's our guy. But now you work for uh, State Treasurer Michael Frerichs. Correct, sir. All right, your regulars on the show, you know how the game is played. We'll start with one. Uh, Let's see. I'll start with you, uh, Jacob Kaplan. Uh, And uh, Tina was talking about the abortion bill that uh, just passed the House, apparently 64 to 50, she said, um, and is now in the Senate in the state of Illinois. This is essentially to sort of codify abortion rights, reproductive rights in the state of Illinois, protect it in in the event that the Supreme Court loses its mind, overturns Roe, uh, and then starts uh, making uh, abortion illegal throughout the country. Uh, It's a declaration that Illinois uh, will be uh, dedicated to choice, uh, if no other state, like Missouri, for instance. Um, Your thoughts as a political on what the Republican strategy, how effective it'll be uh, politically and how sane it is, et cetera, uh, their uh, attack, which is really heated up in the last few uh, weeks on abortion rights. Well, I mean, you're seeing it everywhere. You just, as you mentioned, seeing it to the West in Missouri. I think I just saw an article at the last abortion clinic in Missouri may close. So that would be the first state to literally have none, I believe. I mean, it's it's nuts. And I think you're going to see a huge backlash, particularly among women, again, in the 2020 election due to these attacks. And I just love the fact that we do live here in Illinois, where we stand up for women's right to choose and, and pass this law when so much of the rest of the country, unfortunately, is going the other direction. It's a real statement of principle. And I I don't know. I, I know there's it's a certainly a divisive issue, always has been. But I just think the Republicans have overplayed their hand where they literally have these bills that make it practically like you can go to jail if you have an, an abortion. And I mean, I just it's it's nuts. It's so way over any 
you know, other, I mean, any way it's been. I mean, it's just extreme, is all I got to say. Overplayed their hand to put it, I mean, that is, put aside the issue itself, all right? Just put it aside, just like, let's concentrate on the politics here. Um, do you, 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 you guys are, you see internal polling. I, I mean, is there, is this a, a winning strategy for the Republicans, in your opinion? Well, I think it's important to look at how the Republicans got here because it's almost like being backed into a dog being backed into a corner. The Republicans have in the past utilized homophobia. They've used uh, the issue of a woman's right to choose and they've used gun rights as a way to gin up their base Mm -hmm. with Donald Trump having proven so unpopular in 2018 they are going back to the same playbook. Now, they can't do what Ken Melman and Karl Rove did in 2004 because the country's in a different place with regards to looking at equality for people that are LGBTQ+. What do you so, mean by what Ken Melman? I know what you mean, but sure. explain to people what... I should, so what happened is that... In 2004 George presidential Bush's election. George Bush's re-election, yeah. mm-hmm. and this is one of the reasons why uh, Ken Melman, who at the time was uh, a closeted uh, gay male who was the head of the Republican Party, uh, utilized fear uh, amongst uh, a wide swath of the electorate of marriage equality and strategically put these put bills to ban, right? I believe it's called the Marriage of Protection Act, right? Mm-hmm. The, um, all across the United States in a strategic way to gin up homophobia and at the same time reassure the reelection of George uh, w. Bush. And I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that Ohio was a key state. If you go back to t- 2014, let's not relive that election, but uh, I... 2010. 2004. 2004. Yeah. yeah. What did I say? 14? Yeah. 2004, John Kerry versus George W. Bush. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, vehemently disagree with me if you must, that uh, Kerry would have won that election had he taken Ohio, and he would have taken Ohio. Uh, well, between uh, repressing, uh, suppressing the black vote uh, and uh, hammering hard on this issue of gay marriage, Bush was able to win Ohio. So you're saying that they won. This worked for them in 2004. But it's been working for the Republicans for many years. And I'm not saying that it will work this time. But with Trump so unpopular, you know, it's, it's, it's like... Most other folks were, as I said, they're backed into a corner. They're like, okay, let's go through the playbook. Let's see what's worked in the past and throwing the sink, kitchen sink, so to speak. Jacob, Kemp, go ahead. Look yeah. what's happened over and over again, though. We keep talking about this is that the elections of 2018 were decided by moderate suburban women overwhelmingly. Yeah. And, you know, 2016 was a bit of an outlier. A lot of people didn't like either candidate, so Trump ends up winning. But now, in 2018 and now again in 2020, how is pushing these radical abortion laws, how is that going to win you moderate suburban women? And how are the Republicans going to win without? All right, let me ask you this. So let's take uh, what the model that Dan just laid out, what, ha- what was successful in 2004, and he's absolutely correct. I think North Carolina, it was pivotal in North Carolina as well, uh, hammering hard at uh, gay marriage, scaring people on that issue. Can the Republicans win Ohio by a effectively criminalizing abortions in this country. Maybe they can win Ohio, but I don't think it's going to win in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Ohio's trending redder and redder, which is, you know, we might have a blue Texas before we have a blue Ohio in the upcoming election. Is that right? Ohio went blue in two... Wait, when did Alaska go blue? 2012. uh, Obama won it twice in a row. Yeah. 
And uh, so you're telling me you don't think Ohio can go back to the Democrats? I hope it can, but I think it's, it's, it's looking harder. It, even if the Republicans are criminalizing abortion? Yeah, I think it's, it's I, I mean, again, I hope, I hope we can win it again. I think we will down the road. I don't think anything's, you know, stays the same forever. But right now it's looking tougher than other states. Well, how does, okay, let's go back to Texas. How does criminalizing abortion play in Texas? Again, I think it's, it's Texas is, of course, a whole different animal. But I, I think you have changing demographics in Texas. You have a lot of people moving there that uh, have different political views. You have the suburbs of Dallas and Houston and all these cities Austin. that have a lot more in Austin that have more moderate voters and, and left-leaning voters. So in the long run, I think this hurts Republicans, even in a place like Texas. Mm. I, uh, I have a hard time believing that this could help them in Ohio. But you're, who's the current governor of Ohio? What's well, not? Is it still Kasich? Kasich? No, no, no. It's, is it Dewine? No, no. Cordray. But, yeah, I think right. it's Cordray. Yeah, very I, good. Yes. Who came up with that one? Yeah. Wait, Cordray won? Yeah. Or, no, <laughs> it's, I thought it's a Republican. So yeah, yeah, I thought Dewine beat Cordray. Uh, I mean, Cordray. So Cordray Frank was, out there, uh, look Mark, it up. My Mike Dewine. Mike oh, Dewine. Okay, cool. I would like go. to wow. say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm golden today. It's 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 that New Orleans spirit, by the way. Oh, you were just back from New Orleans. I, so can I give a shout out to the folks? Because uh, I yeah. actually was at the wedding of a political operative by the name of Jen uh, Pruitt. Okay. Um, she did work with Kyle Hillman at the National Association of Social Work. She used to do government affairs for Microsoft on the national scene. And she married uh, Dr. Aaron Waltz. And so I was there. I don't know if you guys have ever been to New Orleans wedding, but they are insane. Beautifully insane. Wait, that's why you have that, the beads around your neck. Yes. Okay, that's yes. from New Orleans. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I got off the plane. I left my you just luggage got back at Jacob's. Morning. Yeah, I left the luggage at Jacob's office, and I'm like, let's go. Got to make right. Ben show. Yeah, you got to make Ben show. All <laughs> so right, I so dominate. Uh, I, I, I really, we'll be talking about this. I know as the months go on, but uh, uh, I gotta say, criminalizing abortion, I'm. I don't know how you're going to get suburban swing voters. It seems to be that's see, that's what Trump is trying to do. Right. Isn't that correct? He's say, well, just ignore. This is what he's asking them to ignore. Jacob Kaplan. He's asking them to ignore uh, an impending impeachment. He's asking them to ignore the Mueller report. He's asking them to ignore his insane environmental policies where he's denying that climate change is even a reality. And now he's asking them to ignore. He's asking to ignore all his rhetoric over the top rhetoric. And now he's asking swing voters to ignore the criminalization of abortion. That's a lot to ask yeah. voters to ignore. It is. I don't know how it works. Again, unless, I mean, we'll see who the Democrats nominate. But I, I, I think, again, I don't want to, I hate making predictions. 2016, yeah, my you predictions didn't yeah. work out so well. But I think uh, <laughs> usually the incumbent president has a pretty good shot of getting reelected more often than not, if you look at history. But in this case, I think it's less likely yeah. because of these has, things. Has Trump ever been known for being a great a great practitioner of strategery? <laughs> no, he's just lucky. No. He's among lucky. other things. Uh, he is he's a good uh, guy. He, he doesn't he, know about strategy. All right, so uh, that's the abortion bill we were talking about. Now, uh, the gambling. Let's talk about that gambling bill. It's fascinating. I don't know if you guys are, uh, were following what Tina was saying. The two forces within the state of Illinois and the gambling issue are battling it out. Uh, and if this is there's. it's interesting. There's no real ideology at play here. Like with the reefer bill, the, the legalization of marijuana, Republicans are standing up and like they're defending <laughs> mankind against a vice, if you will. But in terms of gambling, nobody is defending mankind against gambling as a vice. It's just 
which side are you on? Are you with the casinos or are you with, uh, you know, the fantasy betters? It's kind of an interesting little fight here. It is, and it just goes on and on. And I mean, personally, I'm not a fan of gambling. In a perfect world, I think nobody would, you know, would would gamble. I think it's a terrible habit to have. I mean, if you want to have some fun and throw a few quarters in the slot machine, it's one thing, but it's an addictive uh, thing for a lot of people that uh, can least afford it. But with that being said, what you've seen is with the stalemate with the state again and again being unable to pass a gambling bill. For instance, we had, uh, I think, four or five horse tracks in Illinois, and we just had two close in the last year or two. That's a lot of jobs lost. And the uh, the owners of those tracks basically said, because the uh, state legislators couldn't decide on uh, allowing slots into the uh, horse tracks as they are allowed in a lot of other states, they had to close. So, I mean, that's a lot of jobs lost because of the stalemate in Springfield not being able to figure this out. Yeah, and, and in poor communities, Maywood Park, for example, is in Melrose Park, but Maywood Park and Melrose Park are places that definitely are aching for jobs. Yeah. And Belmoral Park down in the south suburbs, that, that closed too. And so. uh, uh, do you have an opinion which vice is the most destructive? This is the question I asked Tina. So uh, she would avoided it because she's a political reporter and is not allowed to have opinions. But you are allowed to have opinions. Yeah. So, young Daniel, uh, which do you think is the most destructive vice that uh, the Illinois right now is grappling with taxing to raise money uh, for to fund its government? One, smoking marijuana. Two drinking alcohol already legal but uh they're looking to up up the tax on that and three gambling in your humble opinion what about go. cigarettes my, oh cigarettes oh, oh yeah that's a vice too so, i forgot all about uh, it oh I, the way that on there. yeah uh, the way that i would phrase it is the one that's the undoubtedly the least which would be smoking marijuana i would say with the others you, you can see how it's wrecked people's lives in all different ways where it's very difficult to say which one with regards to whether it's cigarettes uh, gambling or alcohol, because uh, for the people that suffer with it, I mean, you have real horrendous circumstances, but I think that there's, in my mind, complete clarity with regards to marijuana that it's definitely the, the least harmful of all of those vices you mentioned by and, far. And with that being, and I agree with you 100%, with that being said, you know, you have so many unfortunately people of color that are spending time in prison for marijuana convictions and things like that, which is why the expungement portion of this bill is so important. So this is what I don't understand and help me. You're both political strategists, been in the game a long time. I completely agree with you that of those four, in terms of the, the destructiveness, reefer is lowest on the list. Uh, gambling's high. Cigarettes, they cause cancer. Everybody knows that. Uh, there's so many people drink and get in a car and then have a horrendous crash. Uh, it just ravages the body if you drink too much, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, these are acceptable vices, politically speaking. They're all approved. I don't see a tremendous resistance. Why, in your humble opinion, is there so much political resistance to legalizing the one vice on the list that's the least destructive? Because it's, there's been such a long-standing tradition of demonizing it, right? And it's had, you know, its origins are are racist, right? And also, you know, uh, going back to after prohibition, right? Looking, looking for a new sort of, um, looking for a new substance to demonize, right? You had the buildup of uh, under prohibition of a whole apparatus that was trying to look for alcohol, and it's been shown in, in documentary and other journalist pieces where, you know, the people that were looking for alcohol, like, oh, we need to find something else to save everyone from. Well, 
Mm. Might as well use marijuana. Then you have where it was uh, associated with the hippie movement uh, against uh, against the patriotism of our country, right? The Vietnam, the uh, peace movement in Vietnam. And then the 1980s, right, just say no. And so you just have a long-standing tradition. And so when you're asking why, because we've been on it for a long time, and there's been a, a, a tradition of instilling fear, and people always fear the unknown. And for, uh, for folks that even have used it, right? You remember in, in the 1980s, we have these awkward phrasings of like, oh, I smoked, but I didn't inhale. Yeah, that's your boy Clint. Yeah. Even yeah. though they themselves knew, they would say, oh yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with this at all. But then publicly, they would distance themselves like, no, 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 I, I, I didn't, never tried it. I mean, and, and the other thing is, as Dan kind of alluded to, I mean, the alcohol companies have been huge lobbyists against it for years because this will cut into their profits. So companies like Anheuser-Busch have, lo- have lobbied and spent a lot of money against marijuana legalization. But I do think it is incredible how just in the last 10, 15 years, public opinion has shifted so far towards legalizing it. And I think it's, you know, obviously it's happened in several other states now, and I, I don't see it stopping. I just hope that also we can finally reform the laws of the federal level so there isn't this disparity and you know, people can still get in trouble with the feds. Yeah, no, and to your point, uh, I agree with you. Uh, I've said this so many times uh, on the show, Jacob, that uh, when I first started writing about marijuana, I couldn't even find anybody that w- was comfortable talking about it on the record. They they had their fingers to the air. Uh, they're trying to figure out which way the wind was blowing. If they can't even suggest that they were for legalizing. Now, uh, all the Democrats are legalizing and the Republicans are standing in the way of legalization. And so I'm going to bring back the, the same question I asked about abortion. And I'll put it in terms of uh, uh, marijuana in your humble opinion, Jacob. Uh, do you think that this is a winning issue for the Republicans uh, to stand in the way to block the uh, approval, the, the legalization of marijuana? I don't think it is. And I also don't think at the end of the day, they'll they'll be the ones really standing in the way to block. I do think you do have a lot of law enforcement groups that are still heavily against this and have been influential in in trying to stop these laws from passing. But I think if you look at the laws that have passed in places like Colorado and uh, a couple other states, Republicans have voted for them in, in those legislatures. And I think if you the polling shows in states like Illinois that Republicans overwhelmingly support legalization, too. So I, I when the bill is finally comes to a vote in Illinois, I would hope that at least some Republicans will support it as well. I wouldn't be surprised if some do. And I don't think this is as divisive an issue, you know, party wise as as abortion is. Dan, you think Republicans are going to vote for it? I think that the Republicans are kind of trying to have it both ways. Mm-hmm. So for the people that are passionate about this issue, they want to have the, the, the stand for propriety. But it kind of reminds me of the way that the Republicans on the national level uh, treated the stimulus package, where it's like, oh, we're against this, but boy, let me get that money. Let me let me send you a letter of things that are in our district. Or for example, probably with the upcoming capital bill in, in the state here, where I'm sure that Republicans are standing in the way of new revenue, right? Whether it's a graduated uh, income tax or some of these other fees, but boy, they can't wait to spend that money yeah. on projects in their district. <laughs> Dan, yep. you sound like me. They can't wait to throw that money away. Uh, I, I went on and on about this last week. Donald Trump finding $16 billion, was it? Yeah, $16 billion. He just found it somewhere to pay off farmers so uh, to compensate for the fact that he, his tariff wars effectively closed off China uh, as a consumer of 
agriculture products raised in this country. $16 billion they found uh, suddenly. So I have a real hard time, uh, Dan and Jacob, believing anything Republicans say when it comes to fiscal conservancy uh, and being fiscal conservatives and watchdogs uh, when they can find just $16 billion. Do you like how the Freedom Caucus totally folded? I mean, these are the folks that were uh, the stewards of of you know fiscal propriety right they were like bomb throwing you know they made life a living hell for first john boehner it's probably one of the reasons why uh our friend from paul up ryan. north paul ryan ended up hanging out our friend. and these yeah. <laughs> in, quotes, friend, in quotes yeah. in quotes uh-huh. um yeah the freedom and, caucus and, yeah, and they, they just com- completely folded with the exception of justin amash who's trying to be like I'm a never Trumper, but all the other ones, they're like, oh my God. Well, that's just on the, uh, Justin Amash was the uh, Michigan Republican on the issue. He believes that Trump should be impeached, which is an extreme, I mean, absolutely. He's the one Republican who has said that. I believe that there are a few more Republicans who at least grumble about the, I don't know if they'll vote against uh, Trump on any kind of budget bill, but I think a few of them have complained about the trade war at least. Uh, But the Freedom Caucus is no No, they're jokes. uh, (laughs) Sorry, Mark Meadows or Mr. Jordan. They're totally, the Freedom Caucus is totally enslaved to Donald Trump. All right, we got Dan Pogoshelsky, we got Jacob Kapp. We're gonna talk about the fair tax. We're gonna uh, talk about the presidential race. And I got a few things from, uh, I'm going to throw at them uh, wild cards. I'm going to throw at the political know-it-alls when we return. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by the Northwestern Summer Writers Conference. Now in its 15th year, the three-day conference held in Chicago features a diverse array of workshops, speakers, discussions, and readings. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash writers. Hey! Playing now at Steppenwolf Theater, the world premiere of Ms. Black for President. It's inspired by the true, that's true as in it really happened, T-R-U-E story of Joan Dett Black, America's first drag queen presidential candidate. You know who created it, D? No. It was created by Tony nominee Tina Landau. Oh. And you know who else created it? No. Oscar winner Terrell Alvin McCraney. You know him, Moonlight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. For tickets, visit Steppenwolf.org. That's Steppenwolf, like the rock group from the 60s, Hang tight, millennials. (laughs) Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. All right, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White has made the difficult decision to close their doors. Everything in the store is on sale, though. Notable sale items like Ben's favorite, Veluspa Nest Fragrance brand candles. He tried hawking candles to me the other day. Like, dude, I don't like them as much as you. Uh, Those are 20% off. These lines can rarely be found on sale. So while 20% isn't the largest discount, lovers of both popular candle lines, oh, people have been buying them up like crazy. Like Ben, all rugs are 30% off in 
store and new orders through June 1st. All floor sample furniture is 30 to 50% off. Antique furniture pieces are 40 to 50% off. Pillows, 40% off. Picture frames, 40% off. And jewelry, 40 to 50% off. Mirrors and wall art are 30 to 50% off. Home decor and accessories are all 20 to 60% off. Lamps, 50% off. Some fixtures and lighting also on sale. A lot of deals going on. Probably out of candles by now because Ben shows up every day. <laughs> but hey, who knows? Maybe there's two or three there. Once again, after five years in Andersonville, Murray and White have made the difficult decision to close their doors. But go there now, Andersonville, Murray and White, because everything is on sale. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. All right, we'll do this. Super cool music means we're almost over, but we got a lot of little. We got the, the know-it-all still in the studio, so we're not done completely yet. By the way, that is Danny Pogoshelsky playing the organ I and Jacob oh, Kaplan playing. <laughs> you guys didn't know our, our extra talents here. <laughs> I didn't. I'm sorry. Yeah. He was doing air argument. But I, uh, I saw Joey DeFrancesca uh, this weekend at the uh, Jazz Showcase. Man, can that guy play the organ. He really can play the organ. Shout out to Joey D. All right. Got a bunch of questions I'm not done asking you guys yet. Fair Tax is at the top of the list. And I know, young Daniel, uh, you're very, you keep tabs on what the state legislature is doing. So we've talked about this already with Tina. Uh, the um, the state, the, the, the House of reps voted for it the senators voted for it and now it goes on the ballot and the voters of illinois get to vote on it you think it's going to pass if pritzker opens up his wallet and we work it we better (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's this is his top priority and i think there's he'll spend whether it's himself or through you know super PACs that are set up i bet this could cost more than the governor's race did but there's going to be a ton of advertisement to promote and this. and and just to, so people know you got to get 60 percent of the That's vote a, you do exactly it. so it's not just 60%. one more you got to get 60 percent exactly yep. and you're going to be up against i'll tell you the forces you'll be up against the trib editorial board mm-hmm. will be against it all every republican in the state of Illinois, what a bunch of hypocrites <laughs> they'll be against it right okay yep. bunch of hypocrites they love spending money but they don't want to raise money uh from the rich uh donors uh and let's see whether they well the business the civic community i hate to use that word civic community but in chicago i presume they'll be against it as well the corporate community yeah. in chicago yeah. so uh, the thing that i'm that i'm worried about is that especially since this is a higher threshold and i mentioned this to jacob you know um with pritzker's political operation the last time around you had a lot of folks that were from out of town that weren't local and they prided themselves on being able to get outreach into like hey i was looking at my pandora all of a sudden i got an ad for jb pritzker right and, and talking <laughs> and that's great yeah but when you're talking about 60 percent, my worry is when you look at illinois illinois is a very diverse state i mean we have ethnic media when you're talking about television not just for the polish community which i'm familiar with but also with regards to the asian community and um south asians and and the like and my fear is that something that a local operative would know, which is like, oh, hey, you want to hit all the ethnic groups, especially 60%. Mm-hmm. This isn't just, hey, getting over 50%, that you're really going to need to do that. And my fear is that Pritzker's political operation might not be knowledgeable enough or astute enough, like, hey, you better hit all of these little check marks because you need to make sure 
you get at least 60%. In other words, in a more of an old school operation as opposed Correct. to a newfangled. What's your thoughts on that, Jacob? I agree, and I, I, I think and hope that uh, JB or his uh, super PACs that he set up would be cognizant of that fact. Uh, because I, I think it's true. It's it's all hands on deck. We have to use every route possible to get out the word that, what, 97% of, of Illinoisans will see an, a decrease in their uh in their income taxes if, if if this passes. I mean it's it's a it's only the top three percent of the state that's gonna see an increase, but that's gonna raise all the money necessary to to fund uh to fund the programs and, and the state government that we need. So I mean this is a win win if the message gets out. Now how do you think the presidential race will impact this? Because again, this is gonna be in the ballot in November twenty twenty, uh, when Donald Trump is up for re election. If this were twenty twenty two I'd be worried. But since it's twenty twenty and there's gonna be huge democratic turnout, I would presume though again don't want to predict at this point, but I think all signs point to that. I think that's a huge advantage because Democrats overwhelmingly, the polling shows, uh, support this tax. So I think that's why it's great to have it on the ballot for November 2020. But that's why we need the messaging. And we need that messaging to be diverse. We need that in languages from Gujarati to Spanish to Japanese and Korean, Polish, Ukrainian, and what have you. We need it everywhere. All right. Uh, we'll be talking a lot about this. We have uh, almost over a year of co- a year conversation, and a, a year and a half yeah. of conversation about this. <laughs> but you got to give uh, a shout out. You got to give Pritzker credit. Uh, he got it through the House. He got it through the Senate. And I think it answered the question. Um, Mark Rick and I have had this conversation many times when he comes on the show. Kelly Cassidy, who is more powerful in the state of Illinois right now? House Speaker Michael Joseph Madigan or J.B. Pritzker? And I think J.B. Pritzker is showing he's got quite a bit of power because in the past, Madigan has been very reluctant to put this on the ballot. Young Daniel, you agree? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that in this case because... I think that you have where both of them are working together on this. I think if Madigan was opposed to this, we wouldn't have had it go anywhere. I'm not aware of Pritzker having done extensive lobbying on behalf of this. And I think that he was relying on whether it was the main sponsor, so people like Representative Martwick or or the Speaker or other folks. But I'm not aware of, at least to the best of my knowledge, the governor having come in and I think that extrapolating that, oh, well, this means that Pritzker's more powerful. No, they're working in concert. Jacob, do you agree I mean, with him? I'm not they're sure. working in concert? I'm sure we'll, <laughs> we'll find yeah, out more as, as, yeah. as time goes on. The interesting thing to me is that literally, except for the one Democrat, Andre Tepetti, who for whatever reason couldn't be found during the vote. Wait, hold on. Oh, yeah, there he is, is under that, the there table. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not sure what the reasons were there, but you, you yeah. know, the uh, Democrats, or you only needed 71 votes. We have yeah. 74 Democrats. So I was surprised that three Democrats didn't, you know, there weren't three no votes or three. Well, that's what I thought too, yeah. I thought some of these, you know, Democrats that are up in Lake County or DuPage would have voted no, but everyone was on board. Well, that's why I say J.B. Pritzker is the most powerful uh, Democrat in the state of Illinois and most powerful politician in the state. We couldn't even get this uh, to a vote in past years. There was such a fear on the part of Madigan that it was a a loser bill that would jeopardize his, uh, his caucus members. And I think it was, I go this to Terry Cosgrove, it's not my idea, but Terry Cosgrove made it clear. And Martwick also came in here and said the same thing, that with a billionaire who can fund a lot of campaigns, give a lot of money, 
he can assure some of these Democrats in swing districts, I got your back. Sure. You get what I'm saying? Or if they lose, he can put them on the payroll. There's always that. Uh, happens. Both Democrats and Republicans do that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Come on. Um, so, all right. So that's the fair text. we got a, a lot to talk about on that front. Let's move to national politics. Cannot let you escape with some national political talk. Uh, two huge issues that uh, Democrats are dealing with now. Uh, one is the impeachment issue. Every single person that comes in the studio, I ask them, what do you think Nancy Pelosi should do in regards uh, to impeachment? So I'm going to go in immediately. Young Daniel, your first go. I think at this point, she doesn't really have a choice but to listen to the members and to listen to her party. I think that it's reached a crescendo where she really has no alternative but to impeach. Or at least start the hearings. I mean, yeah. you've heard, you asked me this last month. I, I think, you know, we should start impeachment hearings. I think that Congress isn't doing its job if we don't. I think the Democratic caucus in the House is wants this to happen. So I think ultimately it's it's going to. Well, the big concern by, by Democrats on this front, again, the aforementioned swing voters. By the way, these I can't even think of them as real swing voters. <laughs> Let's think about this. They're going to be offended by an impeachment of Donald Trump for colluding with the Russians, but they're not going to be offended by criminalizing abortion. This seems to be the strategic view of the Republican Party, and to a certain degree, uh, some Democrats seem to agree. Follow me on that? Yeah. They're, they're not going to be offended by criminalizing abortion in suburban swing districts in, let's say, Ohio or Michigan or Wisconsin, but they will be offended if we, what, try to impeach the president for breaking the law? I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, to get back to what I had said earlier, it's not about sound th- thought through strategy. It's about throwing the kitchen sink and hoping that something that they've done in the past will work again. Uh-huh. Well, by the way, we'll, uh, folks, we'll be having uh, Monroe Anderson, and I think Atibu Buchanan will be coming on tomorrow to break this down uh, much more detail about uh, the case against uh, Donald Trump for impeachment. That'll be tomorrow. All right. Now, uh, oh, The Joe Biden question. I have not asked you the updated Joe Biden question. Uh, Joe Biden is extremely unpopular with many of the people who uh, listen to our show. Uh, They weigh in all the time. Uh, They think he's too conservative. Uh, They think he's outdated and uh, that he should just uh, retire. Um, He happens to be, as last I saw, the front runner in the earliest polls for the Democratic nomination. And uh, so there's clearly uh, a battle of brewing uh, in the Democratic Party. Do you think the Democrats can emerge from uh, this battle without having destroyed their party or severely injured their party uh, as they did last time in 2016? Yes. What makes you confident of that? Uh, Because I think the electorate is in a very different place. whatever skeletons that Joe Biden might have will pale in comparison to uh, to Donald Trump. And the Trump presidency is now a known quantity. In 2016, that wasn't the case. And of course, I have my own partisan leanings, but I strongly suspect there's a lot of buyer's remorse by people that voted for Donald Trump. And I think that was evident in 2018 when a lot of uh, areas which had been Republican for a long time ended up swinging towards the Democrats. I agree, and I think there's no doubt that uh, the Trump camp is most worried about Joe Biden. They've been pretty public about that. Trump has been attacking him left and right. So uh, if, if Joe Biden's the nominee, I will happily support him. The party will happily support him. I think Democrats overall will. I think we'll support whoever the nominee is. I mean, there's still many months to go. We'll see how he does in Iowa and New Hampshire and everything else. 
Now, uh, speaking of some of the, the bizarre things that uh, Donald Trump has do- uh, done regards Joe Biden uh, tweeting uh, when he was in Japan just last week uh, and saying essentially that the North Korean dictator is uh, preferable to him in some ways than Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. I don't know say. what to say either. Yeah. I wish that I could ask that question to Stephen Moore. That's what I would love to do. It's like, Stephen Moore, what do you think about this? You know? Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un on the same page, yeah. and I just like to see him wiggle and waffle. Yeah, I mean, it's just what, what can you say? It's bizarre. Yeah. Well, that gets me to the I, I as I told you guys in the break, and I said earlier in the show, I, I, most of the weekend I was reading Seymour Hersh's book. Uh, uh, the Seymour Hersh is a great investigative reporter. It's called Reporter, and it talks a lot about uh, the crimes of committed by presidents throughout the '70s and the '80s uh, and the '60s as well. And I came away thinking, um, this is going to sound really bizarre, that in some ways Donald Trump is not the most deranged president uh, that I've lived under in my life, my existence on this planet. Uh, I would say that Richard Nixon, in, in combination in conjunction with Henry Kissinger, may have been a more uh, deranged than Donald Trump, particularly in foreign policy, secret bombing of Cambodia, changing the 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 White House logs uh, to disguise where the planes were dropping bombs, how he escaped impeachment on that front alone. Uh, I do not know. That's Richard Nixon. Uh, it, do you, I know you guys are political junkies. You're much younger than me. You didn't live through these years. But I know you've read about uh, Nixon, Johnson, uh, at, and, uh, well, Reagan. Uh, Iran-Contra. Uh, Iran-Contra, 1987, yeah, uh, the hearings there. So uh, Hirsch's position is that uh, the Democrats in the Congress gave Reagan a break and did not, they should have impeached him in 87 for Iran-Contra, but they felt sorry for him and they were looking, again, they were looking to the election. 88. 88. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. (laughs) Uh, They held back. So uh, as students of American history and uh, passionate uh, political geeks, what's your opinion? Who is the most deranged president, in your humble opinion, of the post-World War II years? I mean, Richard Milhouse Nixon, uh, you have a person who historians are, to the best of my knowledge, pretty much in agreement with, committed treason for partisan aims to, to, be, to assume the presidency, thwarted successful, at least in my understanding, peace talks between the North and South, so not only do you of have Vietnam, mm-hmm. of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So not only do you have the fact that he did this for partisan advantage, then think about the fact of all the folks that died in those years from '68 to '72, the, the young folks from places like Chicago, you know, Topeka, Kansas, and all over the country. Um, that's a very high level of well, you know. Uh, uh, it, when I'm the king, that'll just justify everything. You know, mm-hmm. kind of reminds you, I don't know how many Game of Thrones fans there are here, right? But Daenerys Targaryen going up there and being like, oh, well, it's not bad if I do it. Mm-hmm. If people have to die, well, it, uh, it's all for the cause. Yeah. In other words, his political uh, victory was more important to him than the lives of thousands of Americans. And justifying it and, and really explaining it to themselves and having such a such a high view of themselves to be delusional that that cost of those other people's lives would be remedied because they're just be such a great leader. Mm-hmm. 
I, I totally agree. I think I would have to go with Nixon on that one. And here's the thing. People love nowadays to make the comparisons between Nixon and Trump. You know, I mean, Watergate and everything else. And there are some similarities. But at the end of the day, Nixon was just so much smarter than Trump is. I mean, Trump is just kind of a buffoon and doesn't really know what he's doing. But imagine if Trump was as smart as Nixon. I mean, that that's a scary thought. I mean, Nixon, you know, did these things and he knew exactly what he was doing. He was, you know, completely paranoid. And I mean, just overall, you know, I think insane is a, is, a, is the right way to put it. I mean, no doubt he did some good things as well. I don't want to say his entire legacy yeah. is terrible, you know, when you talk about the EPA and the environment. But generally, yes, especially in foreign policy, it did some terrible uh, things. And I don't think the comparison with uh, Trump is, is there. Yeah. Well, I, I get, and foreign policy, I think Trump has been more, re, obviously more restrained than Richard Nixon. On the environment, it's, you mentioned the EPA, the stories, the papers are filled with stories today about uh, how Trump is trying to uh, effectively uh, neutralize the EPA, taking away its oversight powers and changing rules and regulations that yeah. govern uh, the uh, protection of the environment. So he's more extreme on that front. Yeah. Although I'd like to bring up that his national health care was to the left of anything that's been proposed since about Nixon. with Nixon. Yeah. Right? And so just one of the, one of the things to, to bring up. But if we're talking about kind of folks that are paranoid and have done a lot of damage to our country with regards to foreign policy, this is something that poor Kaplan here has had to hear <laughs> me rail about quite a bit. I cannot digest that our national airport is named after the Dulles brothers. And you have where the suburbs named Dulles. I mean, these are people that did irreparable harm to our country. Um, definitely a blemish on on Eisenhower's presidency. And uh, for, for folks that feel the same way, I would definitely like to see that airport renamed for anyone but the Dulles brothers. Wait, where, which airport is Washington? In Washington. Washington. Not, not national. National is after Reagan. But I was yeah. going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, yeah. But the main international airport of the nation's capital is named after Now, why do you, do you, do you feel the same way? I do. I, I don't think why explain to because listeners the foreign policy was I mean it's just this everything that went on is is terrible if you look at the legacy and all that so I, I I don't know I mean naming it's anytime you name an airport or something after somebody and at the time their their legacy can you know after you know things come to light later on that you, you learn how these people really are so I don't know I Wait, think it should be changed a, a whole slew of coups both in yeah. Central America uh, our Latin Amer yeah Latin America also um, the Many, many uh, foreign policy analysts, when they talk about how uh, the theocracy uh, mm. came to power in Iran, trace it back to American involvement under the Dulles brothers in Iran. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on a whole slew of issues, these are people who, thinking that they were doing things that were good, did a whole bunch of harm to us politically um, and to our reputations, and we're still suffering those consequences. They definitely should not be honored with having an airport in our state, in well, our nation's capital. I, I have to think about this in general, naming anything, uh, any major airport uh, after someone famous as opposed to just having it, you know, LAX, or you know what I'm saying, something just linked to the, um, the city that it, it services. I'm not quite sure why we should honor anybody. It's politically I volatile. like Louis Armstrong Airport in uh, Louisiana. Okay, I could buy yeah. Louis Armstrong Airport, all right? <laughs> yeah. uh, or Def Chopin in Warsaw. Is that what it is in yeah. Warsaw? Warsaw, Chopin. I mean, the stuff you know. Uh, and, <laughs> like uh, Cliff Clavin. 
Uh, but um, anyway, uh, this is I'm sure we'll be discussing these airports uh, the next time you're on the show. Jacob Kaplan, thank you so much. Dan Pokoshelsky, thank you as well. Also want to thank Tina Svandels, the Chicago Sun-Times political reporter, stopping in briefly before she heads off to Springfield uh, to cover the last few days of the uh, legislative effort. And uh, my God, it seems like about an hour, no, a long time ago, Maya Dumaksova from the Chicago Reader was in here uh, talking about uh, tomorrow's big meeting of the uh, city council. Right, D? I believe the correct Russian pronunciation would be Dukmasova. Yes, Dukmasova. <laughs> it's actually Dukmasova. Oh, no. I think corrected. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely correct. Maya's upset My at me Polish again. accent. Uh, Leah, great job. Thank you for doing the wonderful job you did. And, and of course, the man, the myth, the legend behind the board, Pride of Joy of Alton, Illinois. Boys, did you know? That down in Alton, they call him White Lightning. There you go. The biggest thing since Jesse White. Yeah. Here you go. <laughs> From the American Bottoms himself, yes. Dennis Shader. <laughs> Give yourself a raise, young man. Take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com forward slash Jarofsky, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Remember, we are having a caption contest at the moment on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J, show, at Benny J Show. Look for us. It's a Mayor Rahm and J.B. Pritzker caption contest. Leave us your captions at the end of Thursday's program. We will announce our three winners and those winners. Winners will get a pair of tickets to see Cirque du Soleil Volta at Soldier Field.